Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Let the Right One In, starring Kari Hildebrandt, Lena Leanderson, and Per Ragnar. Screenplay by John Elvedi Lundquist, based on his book, and directed by Thomas Alfredson. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. We're continuing on our passport to horror. We left France. We've just landed. We're now in Sweden. We're going to be talking about Let the Right One In from 2008, a seminal cult classic vampire film. And we picked up someone uh, along the road uh, to join us on this episode I don't know. Maybe we're going to share a hostel together or something. <laughs> it sounds like a hostel. Because. Yeah, hopefully that it, this goes better than that film. But uh, yeah. I'd like to welcome to the show, first-time guest, Dan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and thank you for bringing uh, a drink here. It's customary for some of our guests to bring questions or drinks. So thank you for bringing this. Uh, what do we got here today? This is Wild Turkey Rare Breed, Barrel Proof. It's one of my, uh, my favorite... Um, Bourbons. Okay. And many people don't try it because they associate it with Wild Turkey 101, which is, can be a little harsh yeah, I a think, little. Uh, for most people. Well, yeah. I, th- I think that isn't that the thing, too, with like Jack Daniels, like Black Label, everyone thinks Jack and Coke, Black Label. But if you do like a Jack Daniels, like single barrel, that's actually a fairly good bourbon. So, yeah. yep, definitely. I can't wait to try this. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and pour us off? Yep. And yes, uh, this is a film. F- uh, thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. From Sweden, uh, from 2008. It was. Uh, we can. T- we're going to talk a little bit about this later too, Matt. We like to talk about derivative superhero characters, the Supergirls, the She-Hulks, the Lady, uh, the Mighty Thors. Yeah. Uh, but if there's anything that really rubs me the wrong way, is the derivative foreign to American remake. Whereas there's a perfectly good film over there. And then we just decide to do it again, like almost shot for shot uh, to an extent. And I just, that one, I think, bothers me more than like derivative characters. It's like a wholly derivative film. Especially when you take what I'm going to contend is the quintessential piece of the movie. Yeah. And just remove it because you don't think American audiences can handle it. How is it? Bottoms up, boys. Yeah, cheers. Cheers to you, too. Yeah, good tip on. Uh, we need to dilute this it's one a, a little, little bit. It's a little hot. Yeah, what <laughs> proof? One. What do we say? One hundred and sixteen. One sixteen. One sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> the last time we drank one twenty, we were pretty loaded by the end of the I show. I think our record was one twenty one proof on uh, a rye bottle one time, and that was just. <laughs> Mark brought in that. Uh, I think it was that one. And I remember. <laughs> yeah, one twenty one. I think that was Return of the Jedi, which. That movie. <laughs> Turn of the Hangover. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, excellent, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and dive right into our flight question. So I'll take this one. What struck me when I found this, I don't know where you guys watched it, but I found it on Showtime this week. Uh, when I pulled it up, they usually give you the description of 
what is the salacious material and what the genre genre choices are and mm-hmm. what this wasn't listed as was horror. Maybe we're falling into a trend or maybe I'm falling into a trend with vampire films that don't tend to be horror. Mm-hmm. Hence the Hunger Games, or not the Hunger Games, but the Hunger. Yeah. Um, but this was not listed. That was not in the titles of of what this film was classified as. So that's my flight question. If this movie isn't horror, then you can choose one other genre to classify it as and tell me why. Dan, you want to kick it off? Sure. Uh, to me, it's, it's a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. For sure. I mean, kids been being... Um, you know, picked on by the bullies in school. Uh, it's a lot like three three o'clock high, really. If you think about it, it's uh, oh my god, that movie's great. <laughs> it's the it's almost the same story except for the horror aspect of it. It's kids getting picked on by at school. He's he tries to learn how to fight for himself. Does okay at it for a little while, and then things go bad, and his uh, his protector comes in to help him. Yeah. He's, yeah. Dan just dropped a really great film recommendation for people that they haven't seen it. Look, look up three o'clock high. It's just a 90 minute. Yeah. Bully movie. Are you going to fight the bully at the end of school or not? Uh, that movie's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to deny that this isn't kind of a coming of age film, whether through, yeah, the, just the growing up aspect as uh, with, you know, divorced parents and the whole burgeoning sexuality that this film dives into in a few different ways. Um, I'm going to go a little bit of a kind of like a romance here. Uh, this is more than uh, the American remake and it's going to be impossible not to compare the two uh, uh, throughout, but they, they lean into it a little bit more with this one. It's a little more tender. It's cute. Um, it, I don't think it, it gets overly like too grotesque with its kind of depictions of just adolescent, like kind of trying to figure each other out. But yeah, I thought, I thought that there's some really sweet moments between these two characters. And then when you do get to the twist, uh, that this film presents it, it kind of, you know, takes it in a different direction. That's still pretty good and interesting. And Opens up a lot of questions, so boy, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I like where you both are at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to go close to what you said, Jesse, but just not to be repetitive here. I'm going to change it a bit, and I'm going to actually go with bromance, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, now that tends to have a comedic element, I think, to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's no comedy in this film, um, but I, I think there's think... one pretty hilarious scene. I can't wait to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> But there is uh, definitely a kindred relationship that is presented as innocent to the players involved, but it's really, and I'm going to defend this till the cows come home through the show, it's really not that innocent when you think about mm-hmm. the history and the legacy of how it got there. Yeah. Uh, and then that brings into question who's our good guy and who's our bad guy in this film. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm going to go with bromance. And I think it does, it still feels like a horror film. It has those horror elements, yeah. uh, the just the, the vamping nature of, of these vampire films. I think the setting itself is quite frightening. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that Showtime, I watched this on Amazon Prime. Um, it, 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 that was on there. And the remake's on Netflix right now, too, if you want to check that out. But funny that they didn't label it as horror. I mean, yeah. I think vampire by nature would just kind of put it in that in that genre so so that presents like a secondary question i want to ask both of you when we take the classic monsters the the monsters of frankenstein the wolfmans the creatures from the black lagoons the zombies if you will and then the vampire the dracula 
but to the larger context vampires as a whole. Is there for either of you an element of fear or horror that you see there? Or does that the penetration and, and the fluid and all that exchange border on erotic too much to be horror? Um, for me, I don't, I don't really feel horror when, uh, you know, a vampire is sucking the blood of a victim Yeah, because it's, it's all very contained. It's not, there's no blood and guts spraying around like you might have in a Dawn of the Dead type movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it is more like erotic. And I think, honestly, I think that's part of why there's so many erotic vampire movies because it's a, yeah. And, and books. I mean, if you go to the, the romance section of a bookstore, if any of those exist anymore, you'll see half of them are not half, but a quarter of them are vampire books. Yeah. Well, you can even, it's a erotic neck yeah. kiss kind of thing, mm. except they're also killing you, which is right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's entirely sexual and erotic at first. And the aftermath though, I think is where the horror sets in is yeah. where the vampiric and in this film too, uh, one of our victims, the like, the cancerous nature that that takes hold of someone's body, like disease, like, mm -hmm. um, I think the, the ramifications of what your life's going to be, you have to feast on blood. And then in this film, we won't get too ahead of ourselves, but Ely, um, stunted at 12 years old. I mean, that to me is pretty horrific as well. The interview with the vampire goes there as well with little Kirsten Dunst. So, I don't think it's horrific at the onset, but afterwards when you think about, oh gosh, this is what this is going to mean. Yeah, that's that's where the horror comes in for me. The process of being vamped in real life is horrifying. Of course, I don't want to go through that. That sounds like a nightmare. Mm -hmm. But never being able to see the sun, never dying, outliving all of those that you care about, and if push comes to shove and you're too hungry, possibly devouring them. Mm -hmm. and the aftermath is horrifying, but traditionally jump, yikes, boo, scare, ah, horror... You're not going to find that, I don't think, in vampire films. Just the nature, If in this movie, one of the things I really appreciate about the film is the traditional roles of vampires they keep, not glistening in the sunlight. Yeah. I'm not going to vamp you or have sex with you, Chris. No, like, Twilight <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, I'm right. like, none of that's in this. Mm -hmm. But the idea then is... Th this film, too, this is like right before that's about to take off. Thank God it was a Hail Mary before a that. A year before, yeah. It. Just the idea of you have to invite me in and then once you're in, the seduction begins. That's not terrifying. It's really interesting, but mm -hmm. it's interesting for me because there's an erotic element to it. Yeah. I really liked in this film how they made use of those um, vampire tropes. Yeah. You have to be invited in. You can't be in the sun. Yeah. Those kind of things. And they did them in an interesting way. A non, I would say a non-traditional way, not, mm -hmm. not like you would see in the old you know, black and white days when, you know, the Dracula movies and Nosferatu and those kind of movies, um, they were just presented kind of ma uh, matter of factly and used in the story, but they're not, they're not used as a, um, driving the story, driving the story. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, let's, let's dive right in. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. Cheers. 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 To <laughs> How are we doing this? Not over the equipment. How about that? Uh, cheers to your answers. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of Let the Right One In. Hello. Snella, help me. Har du hänt något?
Jacques. character or one of our leads Ely there um, really well shot that sequence there it's just kind of like a one shot of just like this tunnel it's all very cold and snowy and how she how she gets yeah poor Jock and but there's witnesses too and that that, that kind of becomes the B plot of this movie right. <laughs> but let's start with 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 Oscar 12 uh, year old Oscar he's his uh, child of divorce he's living with his mom here I think we're just right outside of Stockholm and I if I remember 1982, 83, you could go see Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, I actually looked it up um, yeah. because they mentioned uh, Brezhnev was the Soviet premiere at the time. So I whipped out my phone and looked up the when he was in, when he how long he lived, and he died in 1982. So it had to be 1981 or 82. 80, 81, early and 80s. It, it looks very, the, the landscape and the, setting looks very 1982 um almost in a soviet way i almost thought mm-hmm. it was supposed to be finland instead of mm-hmm. sweden no almost very desolate like like a chernobyl chernobyl if you will yeah. like very isolated uh that snowy landscape i'm but, sort of double down on that with the sound you played mm-hmm. i feel like that group that the unwitting Jacques, who gets vamped by Ely there at the beginning, I think they meet often. Oh, this drinking group? <laughs> drink and talk about the horrors of, you know, Eastern communism. Europe. <laughs> yeah, Eastern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you, you don't think there's Soviets anymore? Of course there are. Like, yeah. This common 1981 conversation. And frankly, and they, yes. And they look, is. they look rough too. They look yeah. like this. They're just. Oh, you don't this? think, you don't think that's just a one off? You yeah. think that happens a little bit? I think they yeah. look, this is not their first tour to this little bar here. Okay, so can I say one thing about that? Yeah. That's also kind of a C-thread in this film. Mm -hmm. Everybody except for Oscar's mom has an addiction that's quelled by drinking. Yeah. I think that's really interesting way to do it, whether it's these adults and the constant, because his father's a raging alcoholic. Mm -hmm. We find that out later. Obviously, Ely. And then... These townies. I love that you use that because at least these non-shaven you know, three sheets to the wind, nightly townies. Mm-hmm. They just all drink. Is, is Sweden such a miserable place it look, uh, that uh, you have to drink? Hang on. Because because we're there right now, this is a very lovely country. This film looks miserable. This is right. a winter I want no part no of. No part of, Man, right? This is like snow for like months straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you looked at the... I don't mean to interrupt your thought No, here. go ahead. Have go you ahead. looked at the um, geographical spread of the um, downloads? Do we have Swedish listeners? I, mean, I think, yeah, here and there. I'd Which, love to get their take on if there's one out there. I'm, this is my call to you in Sweden. Well, if they, just if they can understand our podcast. <laughs> I wonder that sometimes with these other yeah. countries. But, you know, I would like to get the take. Uh, is this kind of an accurate re- representation of the, the country circa early 80s? But Because um, my nephew was born there, and I've been there once. Yeah. But it was in the summer. Uh, it was not like this at all. In in my experience, the further north you go in the winter, the more people drink. Because you're just inside all day. Yeah, you, you're inside. I mean, go to Wisconsin in the winter. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, go to really, I mean, everyone's red in the nose, man. You know, Russia's notorious. You know, people only live till they're like 62 years old there because they drink so much that they all get cirrhosis. Jeez. I believe that. I mean, just like these winners. Yeah. Isolated. You're inside. What is there to do? Just smoke, drink and have sex. Probably (laughs) like that. That's it. Yeah. It's interesting that Oscar's mom is kind of a non sequitur in this film. You mm-hmm. kind of think like in a sixth sense, Tony Collette way, she'd kind of figure into this plot a little bit more, but she's kind of just there yells at him uh, in a scene and laying in a bed one time. Like, right. and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. They, they have the one great toothbrushing scene. And yeah. that's, that's really the only personality you see out of the mother at all. It's kind of the only time other than with Ely. Yeah. You really, well, I guess maybe his dad a little bit when they're on their snowmobiles where there's, a connection that's sort of gentle and reciprocated between Oscar and anybody. Mm-hmm. You really do get the feeling, and especially the way the film starts, that this is a kid who is on his own. Dude, Oscar's like one step away from being like Timothy McVeigh. Like yeah. the <laughs> bullying, uh, the collecting of like murder yeah. clippings, like the he's like reenacting deliverance, like squeal like a pig. And he's like mm-hmm. trying to imagine how he, one day a scenario where he's gonna like actually go over that line with these bullies and stab him to death. I, I don't know what Oscar's thinking, but I was really taken aback by the bullying in this film. And that's one thing that the remake really tries to soften. Yeah. It's there, but here it's merciless. These kids suck. Yeah. Is that almost, almost kind of shocking how, how bad they are to him. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple times at least making him think that they're going to actually kill him. Mm-hmm. It's like heartbreaking, as a, you know, as a grown up, yeah. seeing a kid get bullied to that degree. One of the things that's left out about Oscar in the movie adaptation of the novel is where this bullying originates from. Mm-hmm. And it originates from his piss ball. So Oscar has a problem with wetting himself. Yeah. So in order to keep his, I guess, clothes dry or mitigate the, humiliation of walking around with you know urine he carries a sponge in his pocket so it essentially absorbs his piss and so connie and in connie's incorporated little bullies they come to know about that and Mm. that's one of the things that if it's bad in the movie it's even more merciless in the book because whether he's being called the pig or the piss ball yeah they just hammer him Mm -hmm. on that all the time and there's a couple moments like which I find it interesting too, and we'll get to it I think in a minute when he does manage to avoid them. One of those early days at school, it's when he's locked in the stall in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the is it Alfredson that's who directed mm-hmm. Thomas Alfredson yeah. didn't chose to show maybe some element of that, other than I you know I don't know if it really matters. It's just one more thing to make Oscar more troubled. But uh, it was right there. I think it's, I think it works as is. I mean, it, oh, yeah. the way they yeah. kind of get into it later, like this has been going on a long time, I think. And we kind of see the steps other than the knife thing, which I do not approve of, but like the, taking a weightlifting class, trying to get steps to get tougher, to stand up to them. And then when he does have his moment, violent as it is, it's kind of like good for you, Oscar. Uh, Absolutely. But... That was the one of the differences that stuck out to me was they really downplay the the bullying. It's there, but here it's then these these kids, one after another, and just the taunting and up against the locker and squeal like a pig and 
yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty rough in this in the, in this movie here. But then we're introduced to a new tenant here in this little apartment, and I like, I like the way this courtyard's set up with the jungle gym. Everything's just encased in snow, but there's a new tenant. Um, uh, little Ely comes. She's always barefoot, but they strike up a interesting little friendship here at the at the onset. How do you kind of think about how she's introduced into the into the story here, and then we'll talk about her familiar uh, next. I, I I really liked the way they introduced her because they so first there's a really weird little jungle gym mm-hmm. like very foreign at least to uh, to American sensibilities it's just maybe four feet high mm-hmm. and just like some cubes basically yeah very very strange from my perspective and um, Oscar's out there practicing with his knife and. She kind of quietly climbs up on top of that behind him. And I, I don't remember exactly what she says. She hears him saying, I think squeal like a pig. And mm-hmm. how did she How did she introduce herself? Kind of, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but. Territorially. Yeah. And, but then when she, when she, so when he turns around and greets her, the way she jumps down off of the jungle gym is very, <clears throat> when you know know it's a vampire movie especially she almost looks like she flies down like she just jumps down and it's only two or three feet down but it's it's the way she does it is so graceful and floating like she's just landing from flying yeah and i thought that was really well done i'm not even sure how they did it because there's no special effects in this movie yeah there's practical effects but there's no there's no cgi in this movie Let's say slowed the camera speed enough to maybe for a minute make it look like the descent was a little slower. Yeah. Maybe. Because I think Oscar's still in that. But yeah, yeah, right. He's right. There is some CGI later, and it's in the scene oh, that right. I want to talk about. But here it's it's very smooth. And I, I like what the, they do with her vampiric abilities. It's it's very nonchalant. It's very just hidden. It's, it's hidden in the way she glides down. And later when she sneaks up into the hospital, it's almost like you're not paying attention. And you just see her scurry up the wall there. It's... We're not seeing her transform into a bat or fly through the night sky. Like this isn't that type of film. They they they, they treat the the vampiric powers with some grace and some uh, some ferocity when she does vamp out and attack. I, this is a great introduction, and it very much like if you had like uh, someone move into your neighborhood. Like this is how you would strike up a friendship. Like or we can meet here. We can play after school and, and whatnot. And. It's interesting that they're just, they're right at that age, right? That like 12, 13 year old where like their bodies are changing. And this is like where you start feeling different feelings towards someone else. And the film does decide to, to go there a little bit. But I think this is a nice, sweet, tender introduction of our, of our character. It is. And there's a problem though. And that's because Oscar is so unaware of her arrival, which I'm assuming is a descent from her window above. You start to realize mm-hmm. how unaware he is of who's he's about to befriend. Oh yeah, and that's going to be a consistent thing, right? That's the quintessential question, right? If you befriend a vampire and things are going along swimmingly, how long can you trust that relationship? But to go further with that, isn't that the case with just about any relationship that we make? I mean, no. You trust them until they give you reason not to trust them or prove you wrong. Yeah. So as much as he's playing with fire insofar as this vampire might anytime just choose to turn him into lunch or dinner. He doesn't figure out she's a vampire until like an hour 30 into this movie <laughs> where he's just like, 
are you a vampire? <laughs> like, he's finally put... Oscar's a little slow in, like, putting the pieces together. <laughs> because despite all of the Timothy McVeigh possibilities, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a genuine sweetness in Oscar that he's managed to encase himself in that prevents us from being so off-put by his weirdness, but it also works insofar as he is such an inferior opposition oh, yeah. to Ely. Mm-hmm. He's in the, again, and snow, you don't hear like people jumping in snow because it's snow, it's quiet. Like you would hear like a concrete or leaves or something. So her descent from the window down to that strange um, jungle gym is behind his back. And man, that is just such a loaded beginning. And then when you take it one step further, like, okay, well maybe the camera got in late for the first time through on the viewing. Maybe the camera got in late and we never saw her there. Mm -hmm. But then the jump that you said down from the jungle gym to the ground that is apparition-like. Oh my God, Oscar. And you just, hey, snap, dude, this isn't right. But he's just not there. Yeah. Takes him a little bit yet to, to, to figure figure this out. But I think we'd all agree this is a pretty good introduction mm-hmm. to their friendship and kind of where this is going to go. And I, th- I think the, the cap on that first uh, introduction is really interesting because the last thing she says to him is, I can't be your friend. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's great. And, and we as the audience understand why but he doesn't and he kind of disregards it. Yeah. He takes it the same sort of diss that everybody gives him. And I think, doesn't he respond something with like, what makes you think I want you to be my friend? Yeah. Man, I know one thing that could kind of curb his bullying and maybe, man, this kid's got to get a haircut. I mean, just (laughs) that this blonde helmet bangs do he's got going on is not doing him any favors. (laughs) I I lived in Europe in the 1980s and that's what European haircuts looked like. in the 1980s. It's just, Maybe then it was of its time, but now you're just like, gosh, like this kid like really stands out. Well, he grew up to be the band Hanson. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> mm. Well, let's talk about Ely's familiar Haxon. Haken. Haken is his name. Elderly gentleman. What do you guys think? Late 60s, early 70s. Uh, his, anytime we see him, he's prepping his like abduction kit <laughs> or his knockout kit. Uh, he's got like a, like a thing of ether that he's going to use on his victims. So very serious, the serial killer's like suitcase. And his job is to go out and find unsuspecting people, gas them, string them up like cattle, and gut them and drain and drain the blood to take back to her so she can have her nourishment. This is kind of the deal of the, the familiar. And we'll talk a little bit about with the Oscar and maybe what that the future looks like for him. But mm. this guy's been doing this a long time. Decades, probably. He's probably... I love that the film, and in the remake, uh, really paints him as really clumsy. I mean, this might as well be Jacques Cousteau uh, going out to get blood, but the, this big-ass poodle like comes and almost blows the whole scene here. A little bit later, he botches that job. Like He's not really good at it anymore, and you can kind of see age kind of catching up to him a little bit. In, I, had, I had kind of a different thought. I, th- I thought he might be new to it because he's really bad at it. Yeah. The first, the very, the very first scene, he he's trying to figure out how to how to get the the funnel to get the blood out of the first victim into the uh, container that he's going to keep it in, mm-hmm. and he's fumbling around. And I, I didn't think it was because of old age. I just thought he had no idea what he was doing. I thought maybe he was yeah maybe. brand new to that role of being. Or familiar, though, you know, um, 
and I, I didn't think he was in his 70s either. I thought he was maybe in his 50s, late 50s maybe, early 60s, but uh, it, it didn't seem age-related to me. It seemed like he just didn't know what he was doing. And New he was, to the gig. He was trying to practice it and try to figure out how to do it, and he was just so bad at it every time that he tried to do it that it, uh, it ended up in disaster every time. Mm. Do we agree that there's a level of intimate or intimacy inappropriateness that is handled well, but definitely apparent in this film. Do we agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's the young people and they're falling in love when she jumps to bed with him and not like that for those of you that haven't seen the movie and you need to see this movie, by the way, Mm -hmm. I've often thought that Haken found something in Ely that would make him want to stick around as the familiar. Because the truth is, he's wickedly incompetent at this. And this is why we see their introduction at the beginning in the taxi, because he's screwed up, and he's blown their cover already again. This Mm -hmm. is only because I've read the novel. Yeah. And so they're having to find a new place to move into, because he's blown it again. But you recognize, even if you don't know that, you recognize his incompetence with his serial killer kit that you put. Yeah. The fucking funnel doesn't even fit in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Just find a fucking bigger box. Yeah. Because he, he puts the funnel in there, which is plastic, and then smashes the lid down. Guys, what's going to happen to the funnel? Yes. It's going to break. Yeah. Right. And then chooses to hallotan some poor passerby in the middle of what looks like a park yeah. at like 930 at night. Yeah. Yeah. On a, on a jogging trail. What a dumbass. Yeah. So, and I feel like when Ely, okay, so then that that incident does not go well because the poodle shows up and what is his, he throws snow at the poodle. That's going to do it. There's blood there. You idiot. The dog's going to stay with the blood. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the frustration that we feel with him is what Ely has felt with him probably for a number of years because she needs him in order to eat. But that brings up an even bigger question. If she's so good at it, why doesn't she just do it on her own? Why does she need think, him? I don't think she likes doing the vamping as the thing. I think she'd rather have her blood in a nice <laughs> rocks class like us. I think, I think you're right. so too because she has the, the, still has the mental um, mindset of a 12-year-old. Yeah. She doesn't like having to kill people. Yeah. So he's terrible at this job and seems to hinge on any piece of her that shows some acceptance or um, affection. We get that because she gently touches his face a little bit later when he's going through a a jealous fit over her relationship with Oscar. We'll get to that. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. What is she providing him? Yeah. And it hinges on inappropriate. Yeah. Is he some pederast? The answer is yes. I think he he is. is. Yeah. No, he is. Yeah. He is. So what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. The film doesn't quite go there, but yes. Yeah. That's in the text, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting, and in the in the remake, he's played by Richard Jenkins. I thought this was an interesting little detail. So that film's directed by uh, Matt Reeves, who did the this last Batman with Robert Pattinson, and and th- that Haken is a little bit different in that he actually like dresses up like in like this like Zodiac getup, mm-hmm. hides in the back of the car, kind of like the Riddler. So. Matt Reeves is kind of like ripping off his own movie, which is in turn a ripoff of this because this is the original, right? You mean that new Batman that Matt Reeves did, did <laughs> ripped off a movie or two? <laughs> a movie that the director made. Huh. <laughs> should hey. give up his, his directorial SAG card for that. I'm going to rip off my... Guys, I don't know what to do. Let's use this old movie that I made that I stole from this other film. But don't you remember the Riddler kind of stock in it? Was, yes. It was, it was yeah. just like that. And then he gets in like a car accident and like 
pours acid on his face too. I mean, do you think they said, "Hey, we need to find a really clever way to put a, a clue in the scene for Batman"? Anybody have any ideas? Yeah, yeah. Has anybody seen this movie called Seven? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, do you like he, Matt Reeves? Or is Matt Reeves out, Jesse? No, I don't think he's out. I think he makes a very beautiful looking film, and it's I think competently made. I can't say that it's that let me in's a badly made film, but there's nothing in there that's more special than what's given to you on this platter here. What's up next for him? Batman two, whatever they're going to call that sequel. So they're giving him that the, the sequel as well. Yeah. I think they gave him like a, like Warner brothers is kind of into him right now. So they gave him like a first look deal at that studio. You know, they put, they chased Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve away. So they need mm-hmm. a new blood. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't hate him as a filmmaker, but I just, I feel like he, he kind of rips off. Cause I, I, yes, di- I, yes thievery. I dived into Cloverfield recently as well. And that was the JJ Abrams produced, but that was like his first directorial thing. And that film kind of really doesn't do it for me either. Oh, no, me either. Anyway, back to, to Haken and Ellie. Yeah. To Haken and Ellie. Yeah. I think yeah, whether it's, he's new to it, whether he's elderly, I think we agree. He's just, he's not good at it. No. And kind of in like a, she gets mad at him a little bit. I always wonder if she's like looking to trade up, almost kind of like uh, Palpatine is like, oh man, my apprentice is getting up there. Luke Skywalker, you could be my new one, or Anakin Skywalker. So I wonder if she's just looking for the new blood, right? This is the cycle. However long she's been doing this, since the 1700s or, or however, but like I think she's had to have a few of these. And I think the familiars, I, I know you just said, like, why doesn't he just get up and go? I don't think they can. Mm-hmm. I think vampire lore is these sidekicks under the guise of the vamp are, like, forced to do this. There's, like, no escape other than death. Before we move on to from this scene, one thing I wanted to um, talk about, because I was last night watching this movie and thinking, I have to do a podcast tomorrow. I yeah. need to talk about and I, I walked in the kitchen uh, to get a drink, and I came back out. And, you know, that's a bad idea when you're watching a subtitled movie. Oh, you <laughs> yeah, have yeah, no yeah, idea yeah, what's going on. So <laughs> I come out, and the um, he's putting the chloroform or whatever they whatever that drug is. Halotan. Mm-hmm. Halotan. Whatever that on, is, yeah. On the, um, on the first victim, but the way it's shot, they've got the victim is standing behind a tree and um, what's the character's name again? Haken. Haken. When I walked out, it looked like he was a vampire and he was, Mm. he was attacking him. And I thought, Oh, I thought it was supposed to, this movie is supposed to be about a little kid camp vampire. I didn't realize it's actually the old guy. And then I had to rewind it because I didn't know what had been said. So, and then rewatched it again. And I, but I just thought it was really interesting the way they shot it so that it looked like it was a vampire attack. Yeah. I think think that's interesting. All the way through the film, the way it's shot, they do things very similar to that. I think that's interesting that he picked up on that because Mm -hmm. as this movie does pay homage to the traditions and the nomenclature around what it means to be vampire traditionally, there is that element of the familiars either wanting to be turned or doing everything they possibly can to be turned by their master. Yeah. And you know what comes to mind? is Fright Night. Yeah. And also Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if he is... Two very distinct familiars. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, if he is looking like a vampire himself, that that goes back to the question that I asked, is what is he getting from Ely? And as much as I set up, he's, he's you know, a petter ass. Yeah. That's not possible with Ely, and I'll get to that, and we'll all get to that later. So is the process of turning slow but yet 
inevitable for him. I just think that's the movie to me really excels in one space that I think if you're going to do a vampire movie for me, it has to excel in. And that is recognize the previous traditions and customs that are set. Cause one thing that we hate mm-hmm. in horror film, yeah. and this is not a you and me, yeah. we only, and that's all that matters. But to get a good mark on this podcast, you have to honor the traditions that were there and no rules. And you can do whatever the hell you want. Doesn't work. And vampires have a very clear set of them that mm-hmm. make sense and are established. And when you play by the rules, it's a lot more fun. And I think this film does those rules in kind of unique ways. Like I think when we're going to get that moment, the title of the movie, let the right one in, which is the invitation to let a vamp into your house. I've never seen that before in a movie. Like what happens if they just come in well, un- uninvited? I just thought of something, Jesse. Well, we'll save that for later. In our argument that's been Ben Affleck's Batman versus Doomsday. <laughs> in summation. Remind people about why that's an argument. <laughs> well, he's reduced to, a, a, as much as everybody in this room loves Batman, and I think there are three huge Batman fans in here. Yeah, he's the dude. Of all iterations. Yeah, yeah. He's reduced to a guy on a ledge shooting batarangs at a larger-than-life creature that's going to kill Superman. Yeah, he's running for his life. You've got no shot, Batman. Yeah. I think what the rules with vampires and werewolves and zombies do is it allows the suspension of disbelief long enough that maybe as an audience member watching this, I think for a second that that human has a fighting chance. Yeah. Because you're free in the day. And then if you believe in the cross, you've got that. And then there's holy water. All of that stuff gives you a fighting chance because if it's just fisticuffs. Bathtub of garlic. (laughs) Yeah. If it's just fisticuffs. Yeah, there's no way. He's faster. It's faster. It can jump. A twelve-year-old little Eli is going to tear you up. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So, there yeah, there's a fighting chance. Dan, you spoke to something. Uh, it's probably why foreign films are some of my favorites. Is the need to pay attention. Like, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Some of the films we've done here, like there was probably some times when we were watching Godfather Three, where I popped on. And I was like, oh, let me see my how my fantasy baseball team's doing tonight, and. You kind of like lose focus. You, you lose focus a little bit. You get on your phone. You're playing a game or, mm-hmm. or whatever, texting somebody. I'll just fall asleep. But in a foreign film, you're like you can't. Like you're just like if you turn for a second, you miss dialogue. You miss what's going on, and it actually fo- forces you to put the phone down or eliminate distractions as much as you can, and uh, really pay attention. Like yeah, or and you have to go back and rewind if you miss something, right? It's 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 one of my favorite favorite things about that genre. I had that last week where I, I did have to go back a couple times to watch a couple eyes without a face scenes, and um, you just pick up a little bit more. You're a little bit more focused. It's it's like watching a movie in the movie theater. You're not doing those things in the theater. It's it's actually a foolproof genre. So yeah, yeah. But All right, the, where are we? Yeah. So the, 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 this starts uh, you know progressing a little bit, and you know. They're, they befriend each other. I think like the next big scene we see Oscar Neely's this Rubik's Cube scene. And I think in kind of a fun thing where the, this is like you're you're letting someone borrow Super Mario World like to, to borrow for the weekend. This is like a nice friendly uh, gift gesture to like, oh, you. this is like the first clue of like how old is she too if she doesn't know what this device is. And she's such a vagabond, right? They're jumping from place to place because they don't want to get found out. Um but she's really transfixed by that too. What do you guys think of that scene? Why why using the the Rubik's cube as kind of this like peace offering? I gotta tell you, just I my the way my brain works in terms of games and puzzling and brain teasers, I don't have patience for the Rubik's cube in general. 
that's just me, but maybe you guys have a different perspective. <laughs> well, the only one I ever put back together was the one I tore apart and put back together. Look, I did it. it. Look, yeah. That's how I did it, too. <laughs> but I thought it was it, it was a great um, item to use in the movie because it's a period piece. Rubik's Cubes came out in about 1980, 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the... It's very colorful, and it's a very uncolorful movie. Mm. So it was... Uh, a, a very, it was a great clash to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there, are, I, I know that there's a way to like a trick to solving Rubik's cubes that people can do it in like 10 moves or whatever. Yeah. But, um, the way that a character like Ely is going to do it is she doesn't have to sleep. Mm. So she's got all night. She can, she's got unlimited free time and she can keep doing it until it's fixed. Yeah. I, I thought it's a great catch. Yeah. I, do you guys remember when he gives her the side, shows her how to do it in the side? Mm. Is it red? I think it was white. I was white. Yeah. Because yeah. I would say it needs to be either red or white. White to sort of match the bland, stark nature of mm-hmm. desolate winter wasteland. Yeah. Or red, obviously, for blood. You're right, though, with the color juxtaposition. It is some nice, vibrant colors in a very cold, sterile-looking movie. See, that's that's a great catch, and I think that's... Again, recognizing what a good job the director does on this. Because in a movie that is stark, stark, blindingly stark, I didn't snap on that. You're right. It is a very colorful piece that's put in there. And it's a colorful piece because that's the beginning of their relationship, which is the only other colorful social piece in this film as well. Mm -hmm. Right. That's good. So I'm going to play a little clip here, but kind of like before that happens, uh, the bullies are like, you know, just still tormenting him. And this is when they like whip him across the face. Pretty brutal. I mean, just Mm -hmm. like now you got to go home and explain that. Like we've all probably had to go home and explain playground injuries, but like not like a bully assault to our parents or and whatnot. But kind of the advice she gives him is just like they hit you back. You got to hit harder. Like you got to like really that's the only way they're going to stop. And I think he does take that little lesson from her with the hockey stick, but I'm going to play a little clip here and we can talk about this moment. I think this is a pretty cool little um, aspect as well. Oscar. Tycker du om mig? Ja, jättemycket. Om jag inte hade varit en flicka. Hade du tyckt om mig ändå? Ja, det här är väl. So the way this conversation went is she's like, Oscar, do you like me? And he's like, yes, I like you a lot. And he's like, even if I wasn't a girl. And he's like, yes, I guess so. And he kind of confused at why she would uh, pose a question like that. And what precedes this is them at the little convenience store and he gives her some candy and her body just rejects that, right? I thought that was really cool, like to see that vampires... As glamorous as Bram Stoker and Gary Oldman can portray that lifestyle of suave and you could look like a million bucks, but you can only have blood, right? Yeah. Can't have a steak. You can't have lobster tails. You can't have chicken wings. Like your body will just regurgitate that. I I don't know if I've ever seen that in a vampire film before. Um, I thought that was a really cool little detail. Yeah, I thought that was the, this movie's full of unique vampire moments Mm -hmm. that are a lot of them are about the downsides as opposed to the glorified sides. Yeah. I thought that was really, really interesting. 
The only time I've ever seen that was not in a, a movie that was new to me too in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went through an Anne Rice period. I'm not afraid to admit yeah, that. Yeah. I read all that shit. And that was the, my first introduction. The other one that she really championed in that is the loss of genitalia upon turning as well. Mm. So it turns them into non-food consuming eunuchs, essentially. Yeah. Which, think about that. As far as, we want to talk about horror and what you said earlier. The, the effects of the horror, what happens after you've been turned. I mean, think about that. No more lobster tail and no more sex. Yeah. So the only exhilaration. You have a long life. <laughs> lonely long life. Yeah. And then devouring humans. And then if there's any shred of decency left in the vampire, they feel bad like Ely. When she vamps you, she feels terrible. So it's torturous. Mm-hmm. What's great about that is if you can find that torturous element and draw sympathy from it, you get what you and I argue all the time. Mm-hmm. How can you make me give the least little damn about your bad guy? Because if you can, as much as I hate Thanos, he was right. I was Thanos just, was right. I was, I was just thinking that. It's the difference between between Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, my God. Let, go. Go ahead. <laughs> run, run with the telescope. Just, just the character in, in Infinity War, you have a th- sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. He's... Right, sort of right. Uh, I mean, theory right, execution shitty, but theory yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. justification right. Yeah. Sorry. Playing some tunes for us on the road here. <laughs> White my zombie. Ring, my, ring, my ringtone. You're good. Um, Thunder Kiss 65? Yeah, 69. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, where was I? Uh, yeah, so Thanos um, in Infinity War. You know he's he's trying to fix a real problem with the universe, and he has he has uh, remorse. He he wishes he didn't have to kill Gamora. And in, in Endgame, he's just a bad guy. He's yeah. just he turns into a generic bad guy, um, an inferior character, a much much inferior character, and apparently a much tougher character. Uh, he he's obviously um, able to take on all three of the main Avengers instead of actually struggling with just Iron Man in the first movie. God, but um, we have this guy he, on. He's making us sound so much smarter, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt and I went on about that for like hours, it seems like. But no, you're absolutely right. It's uh, I hate how reactionary he is to what's happening instead of like being like the driving force of that, which is Infinity War. I mean, he has so many stupid lines at the end of that thing. He's like, I don't even know who you are. And I'm like, <laughs> right, because yeah. you just showed up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just like this is a guy who's just like thrust into the situation. But uh, go listen to that episode. That was. <laughs> so can I run with the yeah. candy thing for a minute? Mm-hmm. If we think about the way we build relationships, like just consider what we're doing in here right now. Yep. Three friends. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Drink. Talking and drinking. <laughs> right? At 12... You have another version of that. When you have a birthday party, people come over and they eat with you. Like we build relationships around the consumption of food or beverage. It's just what happens. And when you break bread with somebody, that's letting them into, if you think about it at its base level, being part of something that you have to do in order to maintain your survival, your existence. At 12, going to the candy store is the same version of at post 21 going to the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he brings her along, it's so sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be punny because it's candy, but it's so sweet and so genuine. Hey, I bought this candy. Have this great piece of Swedish chocolate. 
And you know what? She matches his sweetness because she knows what that's going to do to him. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure, surely she's tried it before and For she sure. knows what's going to happen. But she wants to show him, hey, Oscar, this is who I am because you really need to come to terms with me not being a girl. And he can't quite process that yet. And that is a loaded line, but she's trying desperately in a sweet, genuine, matches, genteel, sincere way. Yeah. Oscar, I'm not like you. You can't fall in love with me like you think you want to fall in love with me. I'll love you, but it can't be the way you want. And I think this is the second time, I think earlier with the Rubik's Cube scene, or it might be earlier where this is the second allusion to to that. Which says I'm not a girl. And a mo and elements that are just completely devoid in the in the remake. They just don't even attempt to hide the gender of the vampire and that would play by uh, Chloe Grace Moretz in Do we want to in, talk about that now or do you want to wait? Oh we'll wait cuz I think the moment the reveal right I think is is kind of when to, to bring cuz we get the seedlings throughout this thing which is you know part of the mystery and everything. Did but, you pick up on like a Hitchcockian element to this movie and that we know that the bomb is under the table i.e. she's a vampire mm-hmm. or Ely's a vampire where the people on the screen didn't know that there was a bomb under the table i.e. that's a vampire is your best friend a little bit or your lover and I just, I just couldn't decide if Oscar was just really bad at like reading between the lines. Uh, but that's loaded, right? Because is, you know, yeah. Oscar, she just jumped out of the window. Mm-hmm. Oscar, did you see the way she jumped off that? Oscar, she just puked up chocolate. Yeah. Oscar, there's all like when she smells funny and looks like that, mm-hmm. no human smells and looks like that. It's because she's undead. Yeah. And you want to just kind of grab him and shake him. Oscar, wake up, man. Yeah. How do you know all of these things about death and like there's no smoke in the victim's lungs so he was dead before like how do you know all that and you are so stupid yeah the only thing that like the american roommate could have like really doubled down on is like made this kid like a horror film guy right and he like knows the vampire lore where he's able to pick up on it a little quicker the lost boys as i say because that works that's the lost boys exactly yeah Yeah. or Um, like monster squad or something like that oh yeah uh hey by the way can i tell you about that mm -hmm. doggone it we rented that damn film twice because after we talked about it some months ago, I mm-hmm. wanted to show it to Ava. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if it didn't kick us out of both of those rentals. So Really? Yeah, we couldn't. Do you have it still? I don't. I don't own that one. That is a mother to get downloaded, man. Interesting. I'll see if it's streaming anywhere. We tried and it just, I, we'd get through the very beginning where there's that scene in the crypt. Mm-hmm. And then about six minutes in, curtains. Fred Decker and Shane Black, so... Yeah, well, well, it's Shane Black sticking it to me <laughs> yeah. after all the sticking we've done to him. Yeah. One, one thing before we've moved on that I, I wanted to talk about, about um, Ely and Oscar's relationship, is to me that the implication at the beginning of the relationship, why she wanted to meet him, was because she's looking for a new familiar. Yeah, and, for sure. And, um, but it, it's not that overt in the movie until later on that you realize that she, she decides she likes him too much to make him her, her familiar. Mm-hmm. So that made me wonder if, and I've already again blanked the old familiar's name. Haken. If, if that was how he became, which is contrary to my original thought that he was new to her, but maybe, maybe he had been around since he was 12. That's certainly, I think, a way to read this film. And that's Oscar's really setting himself up to be the new Haken, right? right. I mean, this lifelong, indebted service to serving Ely and her blood bloodlust. So let me, I love both where you're at on that. So let me ask you guys both the question then. Does that make Ely patient or does that make Ely desperate? 
Because think about who she's choosing to replace. This funnel doesn't fit in this fucked up suitcase, Haken, but replace him regardless. I mean, maybe desperation in that instance, but maybe patient with Oscar might, be, might be different with him. She'd have to be because he is as ingenue as it gets, right? Yeah, right. Well, I, I thought that she changes her mind on that after the second time that they meet. Because, I don't know what the process of making a familiar is, but I thought it was... See me. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... it's Come. Yeah. 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 I, I, I thought uh, it, it seemed to me like she is initially kind of cold and standoffish to him, which you can, you know, expect from a two strangers meeting. But she's not trying to sit, like, emotionally seduce him when they first meet him. Or ever, really. But it seemed like she went from that kind of cold predator approach of here's my next guy mm -hmm. to I actually like this kid to I would like to have some kind of romance to whatever degree I can because my life sucks or my unlife sucks I guess you could say mm, well said on life and I think her willingness to leave there's a couple times where she's like I'm just I'm leaving because I don't want to put you in this situation either like mm -hmm. this is a little off topic but this all of this reminded me of the last couple of weeks I watched uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Gosh, what a funny movie that is. Yeah. And I did a little bit of trivia of that Bill Lugosi only played Dracula twice in 1931 and in that movie. Hmm. Uh, but it's kind of like the Avengers team up of monsters with the comedy team. I mean, it kind of works. It's in, in, in a variety of different ways, man. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> watched that again about three years ago for the first time in probably a decade. And that movie used to really piss me off. And it used to piss me off because I was mad at Universal for taking what was such a staple in their in their wheelhouse yeah. and kind of monetizing it with, a let's be honest, a great comedy team. Sure. But And then... A, about three years ago, I watched it again. I'm like, you know, there is sort of a river of very clever in here. Mm -hmm. Monetarily, it's hard to argue it worked. Exactly, yeah. But I don't have the same sort of vitriol that I had towards that once upon a oh, time. I should probably revisit it again. Save, save that for the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> God, I would love oh, to talk Jesus. about that ridiculous thing. <laughs> I can't even. I saw it live when they aired it. I remember that, too. Yeah. How I was so excited. How disappointed were you? Oh, well. At what, I, what was that, like 81? yeah. So we were like eight? No, no, I think that was like 78. It was like that next Christmas. No, there was Ewoks in it, wasn't there? No, There was an Ewok show too. Oh. There was Wookiees in the Christmas special. There was like... and yeah, then I was a little kid. I mean, I still loved it anyway because it had... C-3PO and R2-D2. And, and there's a Mark pretty cool Hall. little Boba Fett cartoon in the middle of that as well. Yeah, I remember that. Gosh, what did they... I did they, they won. Sorry for parents... You know, back then, <laughs> sorry for the there, was, there was one TV in the house back then. You didn't, you couldn't watch that in your room. <laughs> Do you have a movie like that? Do you have a movie where, in years retrospective, that like your parents took you to, and you're like, God, I made my parents sit through that movie because I have one of those for sure. I absolutely do. Yeah. Ooh. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. Go. What, what, what do you got? What do you got, Dan? So kindergarten. Um, my parents told me if I learned how to tie my own shoes. So they wouldn't have to tie my shoes anymore. That's awesome. They they would take me to see two movies. So I learned how to do it, and the Muppet movie just came out. So we went to see the Muppet Muppet, Muppet excuse me Muppet movie Rainbow Connection Rainbow Connection, and we walked out, and my mom was like, yeah, "I could tell she didn't love it, <laughs> <laughs> but she loved that you could tie your shoes." Yeah, and she she was like, "Okay, so what do you want your second movie to be?" And I said, 
the mo- let's go see it again. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great and story. We literally went to the box office, bought a ticket, oh, went back man. and watched it again. Oop. Yeah, your mom okay. looked at your dad and said. If we're going to do this, let's kill two birds with one stone on this night that's already been completely ruined, huh? I don't think my dad got, got subjected to that. I think he wasn't with us. I think he was on alert. He was in the Back to back. That's I've never done that. Yeah, I was. it was awesome for me. I loved it. I was the, so happy. I, so happy. That's, that's, that's great. great. I, I like the Muppet movie. That Rainbow Connection actually kind of gets me a little me too. Te- misty-eyed, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Hermie's got a good set of pipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is uh four. It was like four or five, and I asked my mom to take me to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part Three. Oh. Which by that time, you know, we did Part One last summer. Yeah, and by the third one, all the quality had deteriorated. But you know me, turtles. You know, I ate that shit up, and I watched that movie. I think two years ago. And after it ended, I was like, man, I owe my mom a huge apology for, like, she just had to, like, sit through that movie, Feudal Turtles and Feudal, like, and just like, oh, God, it was bad. It was so bad. And I, I felt really, I, just like, they'll sit through it with you and just let you have a good time. So, anyway. Your parents love you, though. <laughs> yes, they do. Right. I mean, that's what you find out when you when you become a parent, that you'll sit through horrible Horrible entertainment that oh, they yeah. love, and they'll watch it over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Doc McFucking stuff. <laughs> Speaking of parent or parental <laughs> figures, let's get back to Haken and his inability to kill somebody. So here he's got another guy strung up in, like, I think a bathhouse or somewhere. And Locker room. Yeah, okay, so... All right, I want, go ahead, finish, yeah. Well, he fumbles this whole job, yes. and, like, it, like, he's screaming. I mean, his friends uh, are able to get him out. And I think Haken has just, like, decided. Now, I want to know the answer to this one, gentlemen. Is Haken, in a very beautiful shot where he's, like, kind of cowered in, like, a corner, and then on the right side you see his friends rescuing this guy strung up like cattle. Is he trying to kill himself, or is he just trying to disfigure himself so they don't recognize him? And I got to say, then he's bad at killing himself, too, because, man, dude, Harvey Two-Face, oh, my God. Yeah, good point. (laughs) I think he was trying to kill himself. Absolutely, but... uh... Obviously, that, that's got to be the worst, one of the worst ways possible to kill yourself. Like, how stupid yeah, is this acid, guy? Acid bath. Yeah. The whole thing is stupid, and, guys. He, and he pours a small cup of it's not. It's not like he dove in a vat of acid. Yeah, he smoked, He has. He has like a, a cup and a half. Six ounces yeah, left in a, in a glass, <laughs> and he pours it on the left side of his face. Like that's not even. A, oh God, that was. The whole plan is terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna abduct this kid right after basketball practice in the gym. Yeah. With his friends waiting outside. Mm -hmm. I think, though, what's poignant about this moment is prior to this failed abduction and this attempted assassination from the acid you mostly just spilled on this windbreaker is... That's right. He dumps half of it off on on that jacket right there. Yeah. Is the moment that he asks Ely to please not see that boy again tonight. Mm -hmm. Or please don't don't meet with that boy again tonight. He's jealous. He's super jealous. Super jealous. And she looks at him and she... Gently, I mean gently, caresses his face twice, and you can see him, finally, some admiration. And then she basically tells him, no, that's that's no. And I think at that moment when he again, again, emphasis on the again, fails with another abduction, in a suitcase that actually holds the material this time, let's give him credit here, he's making some progress after (laughs) multiple years of... Uh, assassinations, sacrifices, bloodletting. He realizes 
I'm never going to be what she needs. I've never been what she, what she's wanted because I'm an adult and I'm trying to get whatever compassion, affection, love from a child. Yeah. Now let me say one thing. Ely was turned by an aristocratic nobleman some many, many years ago. I kind of figured. Yeah. So that's where that came from. So, what number familiar is Haken to Ely? Yeah, eight. Ten, ten. Yeah, sure, eight, ten, uh, several, yes. Do you like that? Real quick, and then sorry yeah. to derail you. No, no. Do you like that a lot of this is kind of very left up to interpretation? Like, we don't get, like, the flashback backstory of Ely's vamping, right? I mean, we yeah. don't get to see, you know, all these different elements. It's kind of just left up to us. I, I kind of like that in this movie. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's so many things in this movie that are left to your imagination, and that's what... That's how you make good movies. When you lay everything out on the table, it's just pablum. You're just watching. No. They're just feeding you something. Yeah. It's like watching a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Yeah. Respect me enough Res- to enjoy your story enough to Perfect. build on what you've given me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when this other failed <laughs> dinner scene happens with Haken and Elise basically said, look, I'm going to see this kid. Mm-hmm. He just decides in a stupid way. Yeah. Drink it. Don't pour it on your face. Drink it. And that's what I thought he was going to do. That um, would be more effective. Yeah. This is such. A, I'm going to kill myself more. by shooting myself in the knee. Yeah, this, this, is, this is such a botched job. This is so painful. He's an idiot, you or, guys. He's or, an idiot. Or does he want to save himself as her last meal? Well, uh, let me play. He gets a 10 on that landing. <laughs> yeah, so this is him in the hospital. Man, yeah, Harvey Two-Face takes his oxygen out and gets on the ledge with her. And In the remake, I think they they, they kind of have a conversation about, like, yeah, this is the way it needs to happen. But in that, they don't even say a word to each other. There's, like, an understanding that if it ever gets to this situation, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll, be, I'll save myself to be a, another meal for you. That way you don't go hungry. He gets from her what probably he's wanted the whole time. Yeah. And I'm, this is going to sound terrible, but yeah. I'm going to say it. It's penetration. Yeah. Mm. Here's the thing, though. Alfredson still honors the vampire customs because she says to him through the window, like, you have to invite me in. Mm-hmm. Right. And he tells her, I can't speak anymore. Yeah. So there's this, even in that moment of this is my dying breath for Haken, it makes him sympathetic. Yeah. In my dying breath, I need this one thing from you, and he can't communicate it with her. There's still that wall between the two of them where they just can't quite connect. And this is not him being an idiot. It's sort of an effect of him being an idiot because he tried to pour the acid on his face instead of ingest it. But they just quite never connect. Now, compare that with the same sequence that happens with Oscar in about 35 minutes, which is when he doesn't invite her in and we get what we get there. You're seeing a nice parallelism between the two familiars or familiar established and familiar future on who understands and how far Ely is willing to go with one versus the other. And that doesn't mean that she wasn't always willing to go there, but she has to be frustrated with Haken because they've moved 25 times (laughs) 
and he's always screwing it up. And it's not like, hey, uh, let's be honest though, guys. He's a bad Jeffrey Dahmer is right. what he is. That's a hard job though, isn't it? Yeah. I need you to get the blood from this guy and not get caught and then bring it home to me. That's a tough job. Yeah. So let's give yeah. him a little bit of credit, but they hey. present him in such a doofusy way, it's hard to. I bet you go man but butcher. I mean, he'd be used to he'd know what to that's, do. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one scene we did skip over that, that did show him with some competence, it was when she has to get he has to get rid of, what's the jokey? Uh, Jacques. Jacques. Oh, the body in the ice. The, yeah. And and he does it pretty competently. Mm-hmm. And, and drags um, him on a sled. Yeah, drags him on a sled and pokes him into a pipe in the in a river. And it's the body's not found in, at least until after he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, if you're okay, I think that's fair. That's that's fair. We have to getting rid of a body is not easy. If that's the case, and we're setting up for what we know comes at the end, which is turning Oscar in the defam- into the familiar, this grown man is struggling mightily with this. Is there a chance in hell right. that Oscar can do this? Yeah, of course That's not. why I think age is maybe part of it. It's just like, his, this old man's bones in this negative 10 degree weather is probably just wrecking havoc on him. Yeah. So whatever it might be, I, I just don't know if it's like a, a really good future for for Oscar and whatnot, but here we're going to get to a pretty big sequence. Uh, so after after she vamps uh, Hake in here at the thing, and then, yeah, he does the triple Lindy down to the thing. Great landing. Can we, can we stop there? Because yeah. I wanted to talk about two shots. Okay. Because um, this the first half of this movie is all shot very statically. Yeah. Um, and I love it. But the... And, and one of those two shots is a static shot, and it's where... Um, Ely goes into the to the hospital and asks the nurse where where her father is. Yeah, and then leaves, and the nurse realizes that she's barefoot, yeah. and so she try, she comes out to try to help her and can't find her. And then, and it's a shot of the front of the hospital, mm-hmm. and the nurse gives up and walks back in the hospital. And then you see Ely has been on the wall the whole time. As soon as she is, and she was already climbing up the wall, and when the nurse came out, she had stopped and frozen. Yeah. And then when she walks back in, you see her scamper Scurry up the wall. Up, yeah. I think that's a, such a great shot. But the other shot is the triple Lindy, <laughs> because it's the, one of the first non-static shots of the whole film. Like suddenly you jump to this shot of him flying out, and it's obviously because you can't, the actor can't actually go out the window. Sure, sure, yeah. But I thought it was really interesting um, change of. Uh, shooting technique or filming technique that they there's this one dynamic shot of this guy flying down and there is yeah. I, I, the the scene that you want to talk about later yeah is also a very dynamic shot but it's such a, the whole scene, uh, sh- movie is filmed so statically and that was one of the, my big takeaways from the film I think this is an immaculately shot film it's beautiful it, it kind of lends a sense of elegance to it and I was like who shot this film do I know his name and I actually do his name is Hoyt Van Hoytema and he's actually the guy, the DP shooting Christopher Nolan's movies now. He did Tenant and Dunkirk mm. and Oppenheimer. So there you go. This guy's kind of has a career, a pretty big career, and it kind of I think it maybe started around this time here. So really well shot film, and he uses he maximizes the environment look. the The way the film opens and then closes out is with this like soft fade in mm-hmm. snowscape mm-hmm. across the screen. Looks great. It look it, you you really feel like I think the frigid cold, dark cold, quiet, yeah. and still. Yeah, in my head, it's almost a black and white movie. 
This movie would probably look great in black and white, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it isn't a black and white movie, but mm-hmm. the way it's shot and the landscape, obviously. <clears throat> yeah, night um, and snow. Yeah. It's, 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 it feels like a black and white movie. And when I close, if I close my eyes and think about it, it's a black and white movie. Mm, pretty cool. Oh. So then we get this big moment here. This is where Ely comes back home to Oscar's uh, place. And cl- this is when she climbs into in, into bed with him. And this is when they have that conversation. Do you want to go steady? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? And it's very tender. It's very cute. And then like that moment where they like hold hands there. You know, for Oscar, it feels like a win for him, right? I mean, regardless of the revelation, he's going to get it in another 30 minutes. I think this is a good moment for him, and he's about to follow this up with a nice uh, payback to the bullies. But what do you kind of think of this? This is her also trying to elude, hey, I'm not a girl. Uh, But it's a nice, tender moment. What would you guys think of this? Scene's loaded. Yeah. He has to invite her in. He doesn't even know what he's doing. She strips. She gets in bed and she gives him that line again after he says, you're frigid, you're freezing cold. Yeah, you don't have any clothes on. What does she say? Is it gross? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. No? And then a little bit of dialogue followed up with, do you want to go steady? And here it is. Um, Oscar, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that. What does it mean to go steady? Is it any different than what we're doing now? And in his suite, I don't know what I'm doing way. No, it's just like this. Ely knows better. Yeah. Ely's been 12 for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, let's go steady then. And this is when I think Ely's character in this moment changes for me in the film. This is when Ely becomes wickedly predatory. Mm-hmm. She knows what she's setting him up for. Yeah. And she just goes along with it anyway. Cause I need you now. Cause, and this is right after Haken's dead. Yeah. Didn't happen before. I don't have a familiar anymore. I need somebody. What does it mean to go steady? It means we just kind of hang out and put a title on it, but it's like this anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. Let's do it. Fuck you, Ely. That is wicked. No, that's Ely being really, really wicked. Yeah. Yeah, she knows better. He doesn't, though. Mm -hmm. Dude, Oscar's a little too gullible in this movie. (laughs) The thing that that stands out to me from that scene, though, is I think it's the only, at least that I can remember, moment in the whole movie that Oscar smiles. He gets this, exactly the, the smile that you would get when you're 12 if you ask a girl to go steady with you and she says yes and you get that big shit eating grin especially because he's facing away from her and she can't see it so he's just got that big shit eating grin like hell yeah yeah and then she well, comes to him with blood all over her mouth right. too all he has and to he do doesn't is even just notice roll over. yeah turn around and be like oh my god what's the matter with you <laughs> yeah just get at it don't do but it. that just shows the you know the, that trust that 12 year old thing of i've met a girl that i really like and I'm not paying attention to the details. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you're paying attention. It's, it's really a selfish, selfish thing, right? You're very surface you level want, for him. Right. You want to have a girlfriend and you're 12 and this girl is pretty and you like her. You're not paying attention to the, all the signs that she's showing you that she's not a girl and also a vampire. You know, it'd be like me when I was told, <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm like looking for like a girl that I have a crush on, and like, yeah, like maybe she'll be my wife one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what he's exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. Especially when you've prefaced all of that with everyone else that's his age just wants to kill him or stab mm-hmm. him. Yeah. I get it. It makes sense. Like it's scaffolded well and paced well that there's as much bad in Oscar's life to make up for his innocence in this to where you can see why he would say, you know, Oscar. 
I'm not a girl. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Not in a some like it hot way. Yeah. Nobody's, oh, I'm not a man. Yeah, Oscar should have rolled over and be like, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Jeez, exactly. I would have lost my mind. But, but well, so th- that scene's coming up. But um, yeah. I, I think I, I'm a little more charitable to her than you are. Like you are thinking like she's just a she's a bad person. She's mm-hmm. or a bad mom. She's a monster, yeah. at, li- literally and mm-hmm. figuratively. But I'm thinking she knows how shitty his <clears throat> life is and mm-hmm. she's being nice to him. She's. She knows it isn't really going to go anywhere, but she's giving him that moment of, you know, yes, I've got a girlfriend, and that's all I ever wanted. I've got somebody that loves me and is on my side. That's pretty well defended. Well, it's got perks, too, uh, with uh, defense perks, which Mm -hmm. is going to pay off in the end scene, which is... Three o'clock high. Maybe, yeah, my favorite moment in the movie. But here, you mentioned he he gets a couple moments here. He gets a couple wins here. One is this one. Take that, Connie. <laughs> All right, let's paint the scene here because I think this scene's completely just like really crazy. So like, it's for, one hell of a field trip. Huh? Yeah, for PE this day, they're like, like you know what? Like, let's do field hockey, but like we're gonna get on ice. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. And so there's already a warning. Like one of the teachers says, "There's a hole in the ice over there. Like you don't want the kids. Like you're gonna end up like George Bailey over there." Uh, <laughs> So th- that's a disaster, first of all. So then this is the moment where Oscar's like, yeah, I'm going to get you back. It, he clocks Connie in the ear with mm. this hockey stick, man. That it, wasn't, it wasn't a hockey stick. It's the pole. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Haken. Haken used to, to push, push him into, yeah. the pot, into the pipe. That would hurt so oh much. Oh, my God, with a cold ear. Oh, man. And that's like a 10-foot pole. I mean, that's... That would hurt a lot. A lot. <laughs> on, like top a lot, of, lot. on top of that, some other unsupervised students have gone and found the dead body right. <laughs> off in the other part of the ice. And there's a great shot of like the gym teacher whose name is Mr. Avila. What's this Hispanic man doing <laughs> in Sweden, by the way? <laughs> Where he, there's screaming coming from the left and he looks. And then there's screaming coming to the right and he has to like double take this way. He's like, dude, this guy's losing his job after today. <laughs> Tough day. Great scene. <laughs> Let's just stay in the gym and play basketball. But the the, the creme de la creme is Oscar, even though he's going to get suspended and whatnot from this incident, smiles of like, dude, I got one up on you guys. But he doesn't know that this is going to have some consequences going forward. Connie has a familiar too. Yeah. Literally a familiar, familiar, right? His brother. But it it does work the way that Elias told him. Mm -hmm. They don't mess with him anymore. Nope. Mm Very timid around They're him, scared right? Scared of him, yeah. And you want know, to talk about his little cronies? Like these other two are just wimps. Like right. two lackeys. I, I always wanted to know, like, well, what, the, what is the influence to get the lackeys in on this guy's power? Because those guys just like they can't do anything. No, when they're whipping him on the leg, they're like, eh, eh. Well, <laughs> like, the, the one, the one was crying while he was doing the 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 shorter one while he was whipping him was crying, and he had to. The other guy had to take over because he was crying because he was too empathetic to do it. And he had, and then the other kid had to go hold, hold Oscar while the taller kid whipped him in the face, caught him on the face, brutal. Yeah. So you said there's two wins. So there's one. What's the other win he, you like from him, Jesse? Well, the one, the, the one he mentioned where oh. this we're going steady now. Oh, and, oh, 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 yeah. Right. So that's like the the peak for his character. The 
he's got a girlfriend and he beat off his bullies and that's you know it, it, it don't get no better than that so and, and it doesn't get any better than that are we midpoint here or are we second act reversal here i think, I think we're, we're midpoint. midpoint yeah i think so too now what's the name of the guy is it it's not jock is it uh oh the the other the, the other drunk investigator lackey? yeah lucky yeah yeah lackey He's kind of privy to, like, something strange is going on in this little suburb of ours, and I'm going to drunkenly try and investigate what's mm-hmm. happening to my friends. In the remake, this is, speaking of Ninja Turtles, this is Elias Cotes, yeah. uh, who's a detective, which is, like, a whole nother extra thing that this film decides mm-hmm. not to do, and all the more power to this film. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the with him and his other drinking gal, she's vamped by Ely one night because she's like, oh, fine, I'll do it myself, speaking of Thanos. Uh, and she's just kind of creating more havoc around here. And I really like how this character <clears throat> responds to the vamping, or maybe more how she's disposed, where she just, like, bursts into flames in the hospital. But it's the one moment I got to talk about, and we're like, just, like, tonally, I want to know what you guys think about uh, this. Oh, sorry. Maybe I didn't record audio. I maybe <laughs> remember recording audio. The, so cat, let, the cat scene. Yeah, the cat scene. Okay, this is something I completely forgot about. So she goes to visit the drinking lock and and, and these guys, and all these cats just start like start hissing at her. They they sense something's abnormal, right? And this, I think, is an instance of some CGI cats and some puppetry. But I thought tonally the film lost me a little bit in this scene, man. It's like almost turned into a Tom and Jerry cartoon for a little bit. And in a moment that I thought could have had a little more subtlety of finding out you're a vamp. And they chase her out the thing and roll her down the stairs. I thought it was a little little far-fetched. Yeah, it took me out a little bit. Yeah, but, and something I can... The facial expressions on the cats. Yeah, like they like that. That was very obviously CGI because they they had like almost human facial expressions. It was it was very strange, but I think it works in the movie though. They'd already done it earlier too. She walks by and you yeah. see her reflection in the mirror, and you see that cat hiss at her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a bit of overkill of one moment in the film that's uh, I beyond com- the pale com- too much. Completely forgot about that. Yeah, but I, I think that whole B story. I, there was about halfway through the film, I was like, why do they keep going back to these people? Mm-hmm. Like, where is this going? I don't. I, what's the point of this B plot? And then it, they worked it in beautifully. Like it, I was just like, wow, that was. That's great filmmaking. There, yeah. <laughs> they they made this beef plot that I was like, can we not do this? I don't want to see them anymore. Yeah, and they brought that brought it in, and showed how I don't remember the woman who gets the the girlfriend mm-hmm. that gets vamped. I don't know if her name's ever even presented, but how awful it is for her to be a vampire to the point where she only does it. She's only lives with it for a day and then she ki- she kills herself in a hof- awful she probably thinks she way. has some wicked virus like, yeah. <laughs> like she doesn't know she's a vampire i, well, mean. I think she's obviously realized it be- because she knows that she asks to have the pur- curtains pulled open so she knows that will kill her right she wants out man yeah yeah, yeah i think so that's great. Oh man, when that bed, bed, bed bursts into flames, that's pretty pretty fantastic. Mm. I think so that the, that redeems the cats yeah, a little bit, but yeah. like I, I I did a double take last night and I was like, whoa! Like yeah. <sighs> I thought I was watching cats like for real for a second. <laughs> yeah, that, that gel, cat scene is ready for a jellical cat. When, to when like, you said there was a funny scene that you wanted to talk about, I was like, what what could he be talking about? And I couldn't remember until 
until I said there was a there was no CGI in the film, and you said yes, there is, and I said, oh yeah, that freaking cat scene. <laughs> That was that was kind of jarring, I thought. But beside the point, you're right. It does kind of weave itself nicely together, whereas this investigatory element doubles in on where Ely's staying here in this kind of shut up apartment, and he's gonna pay the pay the price too. I mean, like I love her little setup. Her day coffin is just the bathtub, mm-hmm. right, with the pillows and everything's shuttered up, and it looks like Oscar might have to take this guy out with his little penknife. Um, but he doesn't have to, thankfully. That's probably, you know, him going into territory that might make him a little irredeemable too, like having to take a life. Instead, Ely does it, and it just, just takes him right off the table, right? Yeah. I think the other piece of filmmaking in this that's really, really well done that makes up for maybe how questionable the cat sequence is has to do with... Wherever it is that Oscar pitches Ely on the idea of becoming Blood Brothers. Oh, yeah. That was great. So this is a really telling moment. And what it's going to give the audience is a window into just how old Ely is. Yeah, it's so smartly done. So for those of you that haven't seen it, Oscar in an exchange of fluid sequence, so very vampiric, which you could argue if she cuts her hand might turn him. And I'm also going to argue when she kisses him with a bloody mouth later, she's already begun the process of turning him because he is ingesting her blood or her saliva, even though it's from the, the it's, it's bordering on the exchange that happens to, to turn someone into vampire. Okay. So he cuts his hand and the blood begins dripping on the floor and she pounces on that blood and starts lapping at it. And of course, like he finally starts to freak out. Right. Did you guys notice there's a moment in this? Is it, it it's, I think it's this scene where she's licking the blood off the floor. That's what I'm about to do, yeah. And she looks up at him, and it's a different woman, right? It's, it's an old it's, woman. It's three. Yeah. It's Ely contemporary, it's Ely young, and it's Ely old. Yeah. So when she looks up the first time, she is 70,000 years old. Like the Red Witch decompressed. Old, not hot Red Witch. Like <laughs> ugly, old Red Witch. And then goes back down and we get like a smaller, younger version of her. And then we get her <coughs> fleeing the scene. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, you start to now realize, oh man, this person that's been turned in the 15th century by who God only knows what nobleman that we, is referenced briefly in the book knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Now she doesn't, devour Oscar right there, but she doesn't devour Oscar right there because there's a larger context and that's what she needs him for. Mm-hmm. And certainly the vampire doesn't want to let their identity be known to everybody because that's how they end up being killed. But yeah, it's really, really great filmmaking. And it's brief. It's uh, look it's, up. It's a little AG. detail. Yeah, if you blink and you miss it, go go into the kitchen and get a refill. You'll miss it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it, I had two thoughts on that scene. The first, I thought he's figured it out. And he's offering her his blood. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that that's wrong. And that's the great thing about the scene. It's a little bit ambiguous. Um, though they play it, they, he play, they play it that he is, um, he is surprised. But I also thought, and, and again, I, maybe you and I have a different opinion of her because I'm, I, I'm thinking she's like a shark and she goes into a blood frenzy 
and saves it before she eats it. And she decides <laughs> chum in the water. She she like is licking this blood up and she's having to really fight off just killing him mm-hmm. because of her nature, not because she wants to. And and she so she wants she doesn't want to because she likes him or loves him, but her nature is she tells him you have to get out of here right now. I don't remember exactly what she says, but she says you have to leave right now. And you know, the implication is, or I won't be able to control myself much longer and I am going to kill you. Have you guys ever dived into the twilight films at all? No. When blood is, Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen all of them. When blood is spilt in those movies, man, it turns into like Monday night raw. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) it's ridiculous when the, how much the vampires in those films can't contain themselves when there's blood amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. But I did have a question for you guys. Cause I noticed this is a trope in film. Are there rules for blood brothers or this pact? Because I don't know about you guys, but every it, this film, and they choose to slice right across their palm. That looks like it hurts so, so bad. Like you to like prick your finger, like you're testing for diabetes or something. Like yeah, that's that is how you. I mean, Gen X. I don't. Did you ever do that? I've, I've done that. Yes. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yes. It doesn't hurt that much. Right across the 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 flat part of your palm. This part, there's not as many nerves in it, but you can also very badly. They do that in injure the, yourself. They do, do that in the thing as well when they're putting the blood in the petri. It's like a slice on the thumb and then right across the hand, dude. Just prick my finger and get a little blood. In the yeah, thing, no, man. That, we we I, I've done it. Really? Yeah. Jim Emmett. Yep. That's who I did that with. Yeah, that's super unsanitary. I You're right. I think is. I think that is a Gen X thing. <laughs> Jim yeah. Emmett. Do you remember Jim Emmett? Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Never. Yeah, no, school. School. Jim Emmett's no longer with us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah never did that. Uh, yeah, Gen X did a lot of dumb. dumb <laughs> we didn't I know mean, what sunscreen or helmets were I mean, either, Jesse. If you look, uh, well, I was going to say when we were talking, you about never were, the, never were. What would you say? Sunscreen or helmets? We didn't. Yeah, we didn't. I helmets. never put sunscreen on. Good. Start, <laughs> the strongest sunscreen we had was copper tone. Twelve. Well, it's it was twelve. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I was like, that is. Well, why would anybody use anything that? <laughs> well, when I get out, I won't the get sun, a tan. I tan pretty well, though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I tan pretty well. But one thing I was going to mention um, during the scene where they where um oscar finally hits the kid and that what you were you were saying it's like stupid that they're out there ice skating you know they're playing hockey on a frozen pond gen x, gen x we did stuff yeah like yeah, that. yeah that was yeah, and, and the adults were privy to it and party to it they they would say go do that well you know? we've talked about that a lot i mean from boomer into gen x the just the leeway you would be with risk. I mean, remember in Texas Chainsaw, we talked about, yeah, it was perfectly natural, the hitchhike, hitchhike across America. Now you would be like, yeah, I'm not picking up that psycho. Right. Like, now, you can ride in the back of the truck. We're only going a couple miles. What's the line in uh, Dumb and Dumber when there's like, hey, Lloyd, there's some more of them. Pick them up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Right. Green garden hose watering on the way to the park. You just turn it on and nobody cared. You just let it run for a minute so that it wasn't hot. And then you just ingested all of those green hose germs. Yeah. What Aquafina? Fuck you! Just get out of the hose. It's a different world. Man. No, I know. It's and, just like and now. I know now kids are driven to school. You know, we rode our bikes to school, or if you were close enough, you walk. Yep. Now, if you every day if I you, went to school with the key to my house around my neck on a yep. chain. Yep. Yeah, different times. Different times. I guess we've that's pretty straight well. off subject. <laughs> no, that's it. That would be the 
we do that often. Mm. We open up a tab, we close it, and right. we'll, we'll open up a couple more. But we're getting to the moment, uh, the big moment of the film, right? So I'm going to play the clip. It's going to set us up, and then we'll get into the next scene after that. So Ely comes to Oscars and are you going to let me in? And like, no, just, just you know, like, yeah. We forgot to mention this Morse code thing that they said. I can't think mm-hmm. of a more difficult way to communicate with someone through the wall, but it's kind of a nice poignant little way for them to communicate simple messages and that kind of companionship and friendly nature. I think, I think that fits it pretty well, but I ain't going to learn the Morris code language to communicate. Yeah, I don't know how long it would be to just write a sentence. Exactly. Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of words and phrases and, and just simple things like that. But this might be the standout moment of the film for me, which is when a vampire isn't invited in and they just come into your threshold, they're just going to just start bursting from the scenes, from the eyelids, from the ears. And that sound design rocks, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's just bleeding from the scalp, the nose, the mouth, and he has to bring forward that invitation, right? You can come in. You can come in. I thought that was ghastly, man, but I had never seen something like that in one of these films before. Well, and I I never thought that... I guess I always thought they just physically couldn't come in. Like like it was a force field. I can't come in unless Mm -hmm. you see... So when she does, I was like, you know sitting there for a moment, like, and, and it took a, a minute for it to, the, to start to happen to her or not a minute, but 20 or 30 seconds, but long enough that I thought was, was it, it was it never a real problem, a real rule? Like they just, it's a rule that they play by. Yeah. Um, but then obviously not, but <clears throat> I don't know if that's ever been portrayed in film before that, that uh, vampires actually can come in. They just get, Oh, bye. Really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, she's she's gonna about to blow up or yeah. just to just bleed to death. Love the part that leaks out of the widow's peak on the top of her brow, mm-hmm. and it's out of everything. You know, what really hit me this time though is the lack of resistance you see from him in wanting to embrace her in that bloody state. Yeah, he truly feels bad for what he's done to her. Yeah, and as she's seeping blood out of essentially every pore on her body and her eyes to the to the art design on this mm-hmm. she looks amazing and this is yeah. like now we're in the now we're in pure horror land right this is yeah. horror now yeah he runs up and this is what this film continually does so well is when oscar's laying in bed with naked ely and he doesn't look over his shoulder and see her bloody mouth but she asks is it gross and he responds no and then he does see her in this bloody state and still embraces her man you could make the case that Oscar is the me, the most loyal dog that's ever walked the earth. Like he truly cares about this. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I love my wife to the moon and back. And some bloody out of every, you know, you, you follow me? <laughs> call I her, mean, call it a priest, man, babe. Let me get you a towel and then <laughs> let me get you a towel. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he just grabs her and hangs on. And here's what's crazy. Then we get into what's the most meaningful dialogue between them in the entire film that happens right now. Yeah, go ahead. And it's. She mounts him. Yeah. She lays him down. 
and she mounts him and she says, be me. Mm-hmm. And the blood is still dripping off of her. He's unfazed by it. Now, I guess he's seen her lap blood out the floor, so maybe he's coming to terms with <laughs> my chick's so, a vampire. Something's right. going on here, yeah. But there's no resistance between her and this raw, vulnerable state completely revealed and his acceptance of that. And they both play so well together. And it gets back to that another piece that works so well for me in this. Is it love? And is it very, very immature love that she is feasting on in a predatory way because Mm -hmm. she knows at the end of this, she's going to get what she wants, but we're not quite done yet because this, my argument's going to take, can I, can I do this one? Cause I wanted to talk about it for so long. Go ahead. Yeah. After they have this conversation, he finally t- realizes like, man, my girl needs a shower. So he gives her a shower and then says she comes out in a towel clean, I guess smelling better. I don't know. She's cleaner. At least the blood's off of her. And he says, why don't you get one of my mom's dresses? So that's weird. Very weird. <laughs> yeah. Norman Bates. And Norma so, Bates! <laughs> Norman! So she goes in there, and in a, nat- like I buy this, in a very natural, curious way, he peeps. And man, you get the part that they cut from the American film, and is the castration scar that you see on Ely. Yeah. Guys. Well, the American, they don't do that. They don't even toy the line, do you care if I was a girl or a boy? Like, none of that's in there. This, to me, is such a huge piece of this film because Ely knows that Oscar is super immature and all he wants is a girlfriend because Oscar is not homosexual. Yeah. Despite the fact that she knows he is really a he and his name is Elias, and he was castrated by the vampire that turned him that was the nobleman I told you about earlier. Mm-hmm. Ely is willing to play along in this charade insofar as Oscar will fall head over heels and there will be no question about how much you love me because you're in so deep that it won't matter. Because all Ely has to, and she has in a way to him said, Oscar, I'm not a girl. Yeah. But we think that's, oh, because you mean you're a vampire. Yeah. No, fuck. She's not a girl. Mm-hmm. Eli is Elias. But Eli never takes the time to really break that down to Oscar, knowing it all the time. And that's where we see it a little bit differently. And I, I see your side on that too. And I, I struggle with this. You are so predatory that you would take a 12-year-old who cannot be that capable of protecting and providing for you because he's 12. Yeah. And forego the truth to weave him into this web and trap him and succubously seduce him into this life at the age of 12 that once you go down the path, there's no way out. And I'm not trying to say Eli doesn't do him a solid here in a few minutes because he does at the pool. Like, let's be, it really does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But man, that to me, that moment is so wicked because Oscar, there's no way Oscar can process it. The first time I saw this, yeah. I had to be like, oh, that's a, that's, that's a vaginal, that, that's a vagina. Yeah. And then you look back and like, well, wait, that crease is the wrong way. I'm not trying to be too graphic. And if anybody's yeah. being off, <laughs> don't, I'm not trying to be off-putting. No, I, I had the same. It's, it's, it's not horizontal, it's <clears throat> vertical. Wait a minute, that's not right. So I rewind, I'm like, oh my God, that's a scar. And then that's, I read the book later. Yeah. It's a castration scar. Yeah. Which is 
equal. It's just so horrific, right? Turns the movie completely around. Not only is he with a vampire, he's with a vampire pretending to be a girl to suit the vampire's needs that was never a girl and only a boy. Yeah. And how many times has this happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Haken, as a pederast, yeah. felt privy to the same succubus-like, incestuous, seductive bullshit. Yeah. Man, it's changing. It's really making me reevaluate right. who's the good guy and the bad guy in this film. Okay, Dan, go ahead. That's all I did. No, I, I mean it's a, it's definitely a great point, and I, I don't know if you can address it until the end of the film. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, she's known all along. She's sort of tried to tell him, but he's he's twelve. They didn't get it. Yeah, and and things were also different in 1982 than they were now than they are now. Very now fair. now kids in middle school know about transsexuals and everything else, and they're fine with it. Back then, we didn't have. I had, I didn't wouldn't have if a girl looked like a girl, she's a girl, right? Yeah. Um, and so it is predatory of her to maybe not. I I don't know what she could have done, like sit down and explain. Well, here's what actually happened right. a thousand yeah, years yeah. ago. Right? Yeah. Um, they used to do this thing where they cut off your junk. I mean, what what are you supposed to do? But at the same time, you know, it, it's it is it does seem predatory. But I would say she never actually she never actually is a predator to him. She never kills him, and I, I, I mean that's jumping ahead. Does she that- go? She leaves, and if she really didn't care about him, she could have just. Sucked his blood. I mean, there's already a, I mean, we'll get to that scene. There's already plenty of evidence there. Mm-hmm. So that having one more body wouldn't have been the end of the world. Yeah. And she leaves. And, you know, so to some point, I still think she, maybe she started out that way and she decided, I like this kid too much to do that to him. And to some degree, I'm just going to give him what he wants, a girlfriend, until I have to. Until I can't be that to, for him anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to. I know I'm gonna have to leave because it has. It's obviously happens all the time for her. She can't be somewhere very long because she has to kill people and they find the bodies. You know, I wanted to. <clears throat> I think when we did our little flight question, I think all three of us are all D all of the above. I think we're all correct on on what this film is. This does feel a lot like a coming of age film to me from Oscar's perspective. This is a guy who's trying to find his path in life. He's being bullied a lot. He's trying to like stand up for himself. He's trying to man up, weightlifting, all of that. And he's just thrust into, a, I think, a lot of identity confusion. Because there's that scene, and I forgot about this too, when he goes to visit his dad, and then his like, I think dad's gay lover comes to the house that's that night? To drink. Too. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and that's why... That's why his parents are, are part. Yeah. Because the dad realized he was gay, which was a very, that, and that kind of thing happens all the time. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, it didn't happen open. Well, maybe in Sweden, it didn't happen openly in the U.S. in 1982. Well, it's one thing to show up with a bottle and just want to get loaded with your buddy. It's one yeah. thing to show up with a bottle and googly eyes. Yeah. No, that guy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's just like, he's into his dad. It's like, when's your right, son yeah. going to sleep? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a it, loaded line. It was a yeah. very, that's a, it was a very awkward scene where the kid is, was doing, they were playing tic-tac-toe, I think. And, yeah. And then the, the boyfriend shows up or assumed boyfriend shows up and he, then the kid just shrinks, Oscar just shrinks into a seat and, Mm-hmm. sits there and w- while they drink and smoke and they're waiting obviously waiting for him to go to bed so you take that and then you 
doubled down on that with this scene, which is this girl who I thought doesn't have the girl parts, uh, or, or uh, she's been cast, or he, the amount of confusion going through Oscar's head right now must mm-hmm. be like insurmountable. Sure. So, and I, also, I, he's probably never seen a vagina. Before. Yeah, right. So he has no idea what it's supposed to look like. He's twelve. Right. So from a coming of age perspective, I think yeah, you're right on the on the head there with. Uh, with that, it's just it's Oscar trying to come to grips with all these weird circumstances that I don't think he fully understands, even when the film's over, to be honest with you. But I think you're right as well. And this is this a kind of a bromance? There's there's a romance friendship element to their relationship that is so sweet and tender. And yeah, what's gonna happen when Ely says, Yeah, we can't do that, right? Right. We can only be friends from this perspective of if that's the way you see me, but oh man, it just, it, it, the amount of ways you can dissect this element and what it turns the film into that the remake just decided we can't even go there to begin with. And I think that it kind of goes back that the whole aspect of his dad being presumably gay also comes back to why he was okay with all these, like where Eli is saying, am I gross? Are you disgusted by me? And he says no because Ely and his mom are the only ones who have really been good to him. Mm-hmm. His dad, his dad is like fun dad, fun you know, fun yeah, divorce yeah, dad. Yeah. That yeah, know, weekend can, dad. Yeah, weekend dad, and that's it's easy to be weekend dad. Yep. Um, and but he recognizes it, and even he doesn't. Weekend dad doesn't even keep his boyfriend away so that he can be weekend dad. They end up being, you know. Uh, weekend dad with his boyfriend and all of a sudden Oscar gets left out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So really his, his mom and his, his relationship with his mom is portrayed as pretty distant through most of the movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're in that space that you and I have talked about through us in the show a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's when horror hits. Yeah. It is such a cerebral journey. When it doesn't, it's just, it's a horror film and yeah. we probably still like it, but and we have more conversations around this regarding horror yeah I, and again i don't have the list of the 200 plus episodes or how many we're at 250 yeah well with the shots and stuff it's probably just over 200 yeah okay so i don't have the list in front of me but we've had a version of this conversation with horror yeah. more so than even like rot dramas so the second thing then yeah. is yeah. let's just and i don't want a sequel to this film it's fine the way it ends and i absolutely, don't want a sequel absolutely not let's take this film i don't know 10 years in the future so oscar is now 22 and Ely is still stalled out at 12. Mm-hmm. What now? Because here's the thing, guys. Oscar likes women. Yeah. That's clear. Is Ely going to open up, and I mean this, open up this relationship so that Oscar can venture off in the evenings to go have... The, the, the jealousy that'll ensue will be absurd. <laughs> because this is where this is going. It's probably curtains for Oscar. Yeah, right. So that's why I'm saying Ely has been through this since 15 the 15th century the 16th century. How many times has this happened and yet I get it she truly he truly cares about Oscar. And that's why he's going to protect him here in just the end. But there is such an undercurrent of because what it does for me. And before I get too high and mighty about that, yeah. Let's be honest about it. Because who in this room can't look at all of the relationships that we have in our lives that matter with all the people that I love you both here, like, right? A lot of love, friendships, whatever versions of that is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I truly care about this person, but, and that's for everybody out there too. I challenge you in your almost honest moment to say, this is a completely giving thing and I get nothing in return. Even if it's just in my moments of quietness, camaraderie. Yeah. That's how they're all built. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I can punish Ely for it and I have a little bit, but the truth is I'm a hypocrite because Ely needs to friend zone this thing like instantly. Right. (laughs) She needs to put up some boundaries. Or Oscar's going to die. Yeah, it's true. But I think that she knew, like you say, she's got all this experience. She's six or 700 years old, right? So we're 50 ish. You're 40 ish. Not even. Oh my God. How old are you, Jesse? 35 ish. I'll be 33 this year. Oh my God. You're so young. Um, And we feel like we're very wise, right? She's what a crock of shit. Six or seven hundred years old. Yeah, she knows how this is going to go from the day one, and probably her initial intent was to turn him into a familiar or just just eat him. Okay, so I was going to ask you. So I'll stop you right there, Jesse. Ten years from now, has Ely turned Oscar? Turned him? I don't. I I don't know. I just. I'm gonna say no, Dan. Well, I don't think she ever sees him again after the end of the film. Or do you mean if their relationship continued? Well, they drive off together on the train, so I'm assuming they're going somewhere together. So if they can, I think they continue together because she needs a familiar. Does she turn him? That prevents him from ever having to go find a real girlfriend. They can just be a vampire couple. I guess I missed that. I'll have to think about that. That's that's a good question. If that's the, I mean, I thought she left. And I, I must have gone and got another drink. No, after after the pool after the pool scene happens and we get a cut to them on the train and they're they're traveling somewhere together. We God only knows where. And she's in caskets. There's some box and they have a moment where he taps on there and she morse codes him back. So they're going somewhere oh, together. Oh, you're right. Yeah. She's in a suitcase. Oh, wherever. Okay. Yeah, suitcase. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you didn't miss it. Yeah, I guess I didn't pick up. Well, that 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 whole end is kind of crazy too. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. But so you say you say, say no, she doesn't. I say no. I think they remain companions, and I don't know. Maybe she helps him out as protector and wingman. Get some weight, man. She, she, <laughs> I don't know. Great wingman. Yeah. I mean, like it depends. I don't know. Do you want it to be real life or do you want it to be fairy tale? Fairy tale. She, um, raises him to manhood and. And I don't mean in a sexual way. She, like she's his oh, that's companion. That's a loaded comment. Yeah, uh, she's his companion, um, and then eventually, I don't know. Maybe he finds a real woman that he loves. God, but I just say, God bless this film. It's so it's such a good film. God bless the genre, man. Because, I mean, but, to uh, the genre. But most, I mean, most likely, what happens is she gets stuck somewhere and eats him. Eats him. Kind Honestly, of I'm kind of with you. I mean, that's. I'm with you. It's it, that's the vampires in the universe of this film have been shown as they get hungry and they have to eat somebody. And if there's nobody else there, they're going to eat whoever's there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I might disagree. I mean, I think the films presented this as a, a little more tender of a friendship relationship than how she viewed Hagen. I could right. see her doing Certainly. that with him. I don't know if I could see that doing it. With, I think they might just be buds later on in life. And if they are, I mean, that's a pretty cool relationship. Yeah, you're right. The best wingman ever. 
my protector, my vamp protector. Hypnotize you into wanting him yes. for tonight only. Yes. <laughs> I want to go to the bar with that person that when I'm 20. Be, yeah, that would be the best wingman. Yeah. But, that's, but that's also pretty rapey. Yeah. <laughs> Does it count if you're hypnotized by a vampire? I think that is still, still rape. Count? Still rape. See, oh, blurred lines. See me. <laughs> Well, let's get to the final and, sequence and of the. Oh. Also, he's not an attractive kid. I mean, he'll have a better haircut. I already, yeah. already said that. And he's going yeah. to get a haircut here. I mean, a he will years, have a better haircut. In a few here. years, it's going to be feathered. Yeah, 85, <laughs> 87. Have a pair of. Dude, this kid belongs on a bag of Ricola, man. I mean, <laughs> like. <laughs> All respect to the Swedish people, by the way. Get to the pool scene. The pool scene, yeah. The, this mm. is kind of the moment, too. And the, uh, we, the film kind of takes a, a kind of a crazy left turn. And Ely's like, I'm leaving. And we kind of, there's like a scene where we see her get on a cab and we're like, she's out, right? Gone, yeah. And so he then, cries over her leaving. Yeah. And then the bullies, in a very bully move, try to uh, say something of. Hey, meet us at the pool and we can like hang out or something like the classic, like bully, like trap. Right. And he falls for it oh, yeah. and you know, they start this fake fire. And then I think this is pretty twisted. Uh, the older brother of Connie. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah. About that? I thought it was so with all the uh, mental and emotional growth that Oscar's gone through in the film, the fact that he still falls for it. Mm. I thought was really gullible, man. Like yeah. it just, he's like this kind hearted kid that wants to believe that these guys that were being mean to him before him hitting one of them in the head with a pole is going to fix it. And, yeah. and now they're going to be like, okay, you're, you're a good guy. I thought, I thought it was, it's kind of tragic, but it was, I thought it was such a great note. Yeah. The gullible nature of Oscar is yeah. his downfall, right? Yeah. But it's also his redeeming trait. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And it's what gives us hope on the train that he's going to make it work with her somehow. Yeah, right. maybe. I'd love that. Good. Yeah. So here, yeah, the 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 old uh, Connie's older brother shows up and was like, "Yeah, I saw you gave my my little brother a nick here." And he's like, "So here's what we're going to do. If you stay three minutes underwater, I'll only nick you just a tiny bit. If you don't, I'm going to take out one of your eyes, Oof. an eye for an ear. Got to tell you." In real life, dude, you're losing an eye because there ain't no vampire coming to rescue you in this horrific scenario, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is pretty awful. I mean, the bullying has gone to like the two and eleven at this point, and, and I and the shot, I think, the because they they go from the older kid's face. I don't mm-hmm. know if they give his name to Oscar's face, and when he said when he says, "I'm gonna an eye for an ear," and you know. Oscar's, you know, you're looking at him and his eyes are wide open and you're like, which one's he going to take, his left or his right eye? I mean, mm-hmm. He's going he's to do it. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just, yeah, the 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 the, the setup is, is entirely brutal. And the way it plays out here, once he's submerged under the water, you kind of see a little bit of the remorse from Connie. He's like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. we're crossing the line here. This is a little bit too much. And the brother's like, no, we're, we're here. We're going all the way. We're going, yeah. And little the little blonde crying kid is just like, oh, I'm out. And he's like, just like beside I thought, himself. I thought of Stand By Me, Ace, and Stand By Me. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And in a great moment, I think, of subtlety that Alfredson decides to do, they, they shoot this entire attack sequence from just underwater. I mean, you see some legs getting drug across the water, a head get thrown in, which is amazing, and then a severed arm. And the reverb in the water, the echo reverb. Yeah. Which is, we've all heard that in the under, like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Underneath underneath the water or in the water, underwater. Yeah. 
And then that ends with 16 proof. <laughs> <laughs> and then that ends with, you know, uh, Oscar coming back. And in a very kind of whiplash moment, we get this nice kind of like back and forth close up of their reactions and this kind of shared smile of thank you for coming to save me and helping me out here. What do you guys think of this sequence? I mean, this is our climax of the film. I think this is fantastic. I mean, it's the moment we, we want to see the bullies pay, even though we thought we saw them pay. But we don't want to see Oscar get his eye plucked out. I mean, this is like just desserts revenge on a great level. I mean, you get vamped decapitation at this point. I think it's perfect. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the American version. I don't know what they do. But if it was an original American movie, it would be a big CGI fest, and they'd show they'd show her tear all these people apart, right? Yeah. But the, you don't need that, right? It's better in your imagination. Mm -hmm. There's no CGI that's good enough to really, you know, and it, it's still going to be a horrific scene. It's not, it's not like it's something that you really, I mean, unless you're a weirdo, you, you don't want to see a vampire tear a bunch of teenagers apart who are, you know, I mean, one of them, like the oldest kid is obviously a really sick individual, but even still, he's like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. You don't want to see a vampire tear all these people apart. But they are still getting their just desserts, or at least he is. Um, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but they, she leaves the, the cowering kid alone. Yeah, alone. He's still sitting there yep. at the end. Um, so I thought it was perfect the, the way that they did it with the sound. Like he could hear things happening underwater, or if he's still conscious, you can't tell because um, he's not only underwater holding his breath, he's being held underwater mm -hmm. yeah. with the, the, the older kids holding his hair. And holding him hard, he can't. He couldn't come out if he wanted to. Um, I thought it was just the perfect end to the movie, or it was not the technically the end, but the climax. I, I think it should movie. be the end of the movie. That final like long shot of the pool with all the bodies strewn, carnage out everywhere, looks amazing. That's a great end shot. Just fade out right there. Um, you know what struck me this time is <laughs> this sounds so funny. The complexion of the guy that's the chief bully in that scene. <laughs> yeah. I love that they didn't choose like a Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. They chose like a 16, 17 year old pimple faced punk ass. Yeah. Swedish which yeah. would be about right. Good. I'm surprised he's not a scars guard. And that's, yeah. And that's yeah. What, and that's what, on, that, that's also one thing I was going to, that I wanted to mention. It was filmed in 2008. Yeah. But the kids look like kids from the 80s in the sense that they're skinny yep and i know that that's more true in in uh sweden and europe sure. now okay, yeah but even so i mean you know kids now most kids now like the athletic kids would have been considered fat when we were in in the 80s mm -hmm. too because, puppy yeah <laughs> yeah i mean people were skinny skinny yeah. back then and all the every character in this movie i mean not the adults but the kids that's how kids looked in the 80s, and yeah. I, th I thought it was good casting that they did that. Connie's in the same grade as, as Oscar. Mm -hmm. He's 11 mm -hmm. or 12. Yeah. So an older brother should be 16, 17. Yeah. I'm glad the older brother isn't 25 to yeah. 30. Right. This yeah. part of this movie reminded me of My Bodyguard. Mm -hmm. You ever seen that movie? Mm -hmm. So what I also really appreciate about that is because the age fits – it reminded me of my bully yeah. in middle school. Fucking guy's name was Casey Rivers. Oh, I hate that guy. He was a punk. <laughs> yeah. I hope I see him someday. Matt, Matt and I went to 
middle school together. Yeah. but And high school. I've known yeah. Dan forever. But this guy's punk ass. The greatest day of my middle school life, Jesse, was when that guy got his just desserts. Yeah, of course. And you know what it was? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you went to Hoover, too. Mm-hmm. You know the racquetball courts are? The hand, the, the, yeah. the wall. I'll never forget. We had a handball, racquetball wall where we would play... Um, what smear the queer? What what the hell was it? Was the name of that game? Wall ball. Wall ball. Yeah, yeah. wall ball. There's a lot of things we played on that court. Yeah. But I remember going to school one morning and somebody had climbed on top of the gym. Oh my god! And hung yeah. down a sign that said, "And if you're listening, Casey, I'm fucking calling you out. <laughs> and come find me, bitch. <laughs> Casey Rivers has a tw- has a two inch penis. Jeez. And I remember walking out there, and the smile on my face was from sunrise to sunset. Well, he got it. It's that whole moniker, right? You can dish it, but can you take it, right? Well, yeah. And yeah. he was merciless. Like, I was just a stupid sixth grader. And mm-hmm. he was the kind of guy that would take my lock and throw it into the showers and, like, in the hallway, bum rush me and knock me over. And the teacher that was there wouldn't do anything about it. And to this day, I never, you know, I never said, I was, he was an eighth grader, like a big eighth grader. Yeah. And I felt like I can relate to Oscar in that sure. scene. And I needed an Ely. Yeah. And that sign was the closest thing I ever got. God, he's a punk, man. What a jackass. Did he have a brother at our age? I don't know. Uh, Did you ever have a bully? Probably the same guy. Uh, Well, Scott Dennis, when I first, (laughs) when I first, uh, so I didn't come till seventh grade. I moved back to the U.S. in seventh grade and played, probably met you playing wall ball. Yep. Um, But uh, I played, you know, Yaffle football and uh, Scott was on my team and he's a big guy. He's pretty Big muscular guy. He ended up getting a college scholarship for football, and I don't know. We, you know, it's teenage or middle school bullshit. But we ended up getting in a fight down on uh, on the field at Holiday Park. And oh, geez, all the other guys were there. You were probably there. I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> um, he tried some karate kick on me, and I, I punched him. And he tried to crank kick you. Parents can't. Uh, he didn't try to. But uh, yeah, I. I mean that didn't last very long, you know. After we had that fight, it was we were pretty pretty good after that. But I had definitely had bullies in middle school and elementary school for yeah. sure. But I didn't really have like a singular bully. Me and my little clique, which have been on this show before too, like we kind of had like a group of bully, which it was kind of weird. It was kind of like a seemingly group of opposites. There was like kind of like a doppelganger for each of us, mm. and they kind of like you were like you were like uh, Seinfeld. There was like the a little bit, the, yeah. other, the other version of Seinfeld. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, they were kind of like similar in stature. Like we had like kind of like a big friend, and like there was like a big guy on that <laughs> on that that side too. And they escalated it a little bit, and we pushed back. Like not to the point where we we're like fisticuffs, but like we got into it like mm. verbally and in front of a lot of people. And but that was kind of it, right? I mean, it was just kind of like. Nothing like this. Nothing like what no, this film's no. presents. But I mean, I, I, <laughs> no, no, nothing like yeah. this. But I think this film does present the reality of bullies: is that if you do fight back, they'll lay off. And I mean, in in this film, they do the kids that are his age that are his bullies. They're scared of him after they after he hits them with the pole. Mm-hmm. But it's just when his old the older brother, who in my head is named Ace after Stand by Me, mm-hmm. finds out, and then he like decides to take over bullying. Like it wasn't bad enough that his little brother was already bullying this kid so long. Yeah. The kid fought back once and now the guy's going <clears> to <throat> either kill him or take his eye out. Like he's a psycho. Yeah. 
but uh, that, that, I guess that part's not very realistic. I don't think that happens. I think it was a, it's a very sweet ending, I think. Yeah. I, I yeah. think like her coming to his rescue oh, there yeah. and that kind of like moment that they share, I think it's, yeah, it kind of got your back. Again, the bromance aspect of it too. I mean, it kind of yeah. kind of comes back full circle. I, th- I think it's great. Like he fights back to whatever degree he can, does it successfully. And then when things are out of his hands, she's his protector. She takes these, she takes that dude out and takes all of them, well, three of them out in a very brutal way, but they deserved it. He didn't do it. He, he was just trying to live and they were messing with him. You know, what are you going to do? And what is good. Now, what do you guys think of the, so that ends and we kind of fade out a little bit. Then we have a little epilogue where I guess Oscar's just decided to run away with Ely and they're on a train to somewhere else. Yeah, it was somewhere else. And, they kind of do the, the little Morse code uh, aspect on the thing, which is, I did read this on 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 Wiki. This, let me let me read it to you. Uh, Eli taps the word "kiss" in Morse code, and sh- and to which he taps back "small kiss." So kind of back mm-hmm. and forth. Uh, I would never pick that up because I don't know Morse code. But do you like this little tacked-on thing? The adventures of Ely and Oscar across Western Europe or Eastern Europe, wherever they're going. I don't know. I think personally I would rather the film ended at the pool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I guess I totally, like when you said when you said that, um, when you mentioned that scene, I remembered it. But in my head, I guess I had erased that scene. Like she had, would just leave. And let him live his life. So she's taking him away from his mom. And they're going off. And inevitably, he's going to either become a familiar or a vampire or a meal. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Yep. And, unless they're... She's the coolest vampire ever. Like, she's the... the um, Hooker with the heart of gold. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, right? So, right. I mean, if it was... If it was a... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say. A Marvel movie. Maybe she becomes... <laughs> Morbius and oh my god, cool. right, know. right, um, <laughs> like like they're they're like they're like best bros forever. But I don't that doesn't seem realistic. I, I, yeah. But I, I love that it's open ended that way. But sure, uh, yeah. I if th- you cut at the pool scene, then you get all of the things you get in the train. Yeah, they did not. She did not come to the pool to save Oscar to then just leave again. Yeah, right. And especially if there's the carnage or the wreckage, the bodies around the rim of the pool, and then the one guy who was sitting on the side crying and they're no longer there. You can deduce that they left together. Yeah. So then what you get the same thing, the same question on the train. So now what? Yeah. Right. So I guess I'm thinking, you know, maybe he had, maybe he had to go because yeah. Murder of the murder. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, because, you know, the, the little detail of three <laughs> Mur- children. Being we murdered. just decapitated yeah. three kids yeah. in this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you say right. tomato, I say tomato. This right. bathhouse. So, so maybe he has to, and and she's she's wise enough to know you. Okay, you know this happened now, and we can't take it back. You we, you have to go with me, and here's why. And they go. <laughs> See, there you go. That yeah. if that's the case, that's more element of like I'm going to get you six ways from Sunday to where you have to be with me. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, that's a good. That, the, yeah, that's a good point. Like, it, did she do it on purpose to to prey on him more? Especially when she was leaving with no one to help her. Right. So, again, I think it's like you can definitely take it two ways all the way through. Like, is she just praying on the whole time? Or is she, like, genuinely like this kid or maybe love this kid? And I don't know. That's 
It's loaded, that's right? A, that's that's the sign of a great film. Yeah. So it wraps up. Yeah, wraps up. That's that's we cut to black with our nice kind of snowscape, you know, fade in again. Uh, white. Yeah, exactly. And you know, yeah. So this came out in two thousand eight. The remake came out two years. Like, just like the, the cool thing about the remake is it's actually a Hammer Films production. Mm. So old Hammer horror from the sixties and seventies, fifties, sixties, and seventies helped produce that movie. But they jumped right on that, right? I mean, they saw this and was like, "We got to like get on that thing." And again, I'll just say again, just the unnecessary aspect of having to remake a film that's already pretty perfect in its own right. Um, I've told you about uh, that uh, other Swedish movie, uh, Another Round with Mads Mikkelsen. And I saw that movie because you mentioned it. Yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. Great. Well, that film won. Mads Mikkelsen is so great in that film. Incredible. That film won Best Foreign Language Film uh, two Oscars ago. And immediately they were like, Let's do the American version. I'm like, no, just go watch that one. It's yeah. fine as it is. Like, what's going to change when you bring it over here? I think Can the we? Only, co- the thing that changes is people don't want to have to read subtitles. That's the thing. Yeah, it's just like that. That that's the the, the real harsh reality. Yeah. Is that in production now? Here, probably. Yeah. It's just completely unnecessary. And yeah, even like, uh, like I'd, I'd rather you watch it in its native language. But even if you watch the dubbed version, that's better than having to watch the redo of what's already been done. Mm-hmm. So again, you can check out Let Me In, but it's a totally derivative film. It's yeah. like you're you're going to get more out of this one, more layers, more nuance with this little film than you will with that well, one. With that, I would say if you want to watch this film, which is what Let Me In is, then go ahead and spend the time and the little bit of more effort it takes to read the subtitles and get the full castrated version. Yeah. By that I mean like <laughs> in full effect, not the castrated American version right. that's Literally. inoculated. Literally, yeah. The uncastrated castrated yeah. version. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, get it. Get all of it. <clears throat> exactly. One thing I wanted to say about this film, um, I was impressed by the sparsity of the dialogue in the movie. I was telling Matt on the way over here. I don't know if more than a thousand words are said out loud in the whole film. Kind of quiet, right? Yeah, it's such a quiet, isolated film. There's so many lines that actors have that are one word, you know, and it's not like back and forth, one word, one one word. It's the whole scene is one actor saying one word and the other actor saying one or two words back, and that's it. Yeah, it's funny, Dan. It's so and it's it's so expressive, and and the and it's kid actors and i don't think that i don't think the kid i don't think the performances are incredible but for being their age i think they're pretty incredible yeah well two things about that if kids struggle to act because they don't have the they didn't go to the lee strasberg school of acting (laughs) and they don't have the backdrop of experience to call from then the less you make them say and the more you just engage them in meaningful activity the better it is and the second thing most great screenplays have more white on the page than black on the page. We've talked about that. Yeah. This page is so dense. What can we cut? And I'd like to see the. I wouldn't be able to read Swedish, obviously, but yeah. I'd like to see just the look of the pages in this hundred and hundred and five page script. Cause I bet you there's a, a lot of white right. on these pages, which and gives you room to, to let your mind run. Well, what do you think? What do you think of that? And uh, the, 
guy who wrote the book wrote the screenplay, yeah. and usually mm. that's like that. get that person. Never happens. Don't let J.K. Rowling write the Crimes of Grindelwald, <laughs> which she actually did. Right. It kind of he kind of knew how to condense it to a two little over two hour film. It kind of worked to its advantage, really. It makes mm. sense though if you think about it. Who knows those characters the best? Right. Well, it's, he does. It's William Peter Blatty in The Exorcist, right? Right. Yeah. So get out of my way, and I know in my script, which I'm not trying to write a 400-page manuscript to be published to print, but a 105-page screenplay to screen, I can cut this stuff and still keep the integrity of these characters. They know the meat, right? Of course, because they, they built them. They know the crux, yeah. What, the the million-dollar question. Why is that so simple, yet so rarely carried through yeah. in filmmaking. Yeah. If you write the novel and it's screened or and it's it's optioned or bought from you, they usually give the writer of the novel first crack at the past, but it's at the same time they have a hired team writing it on their own. It doesn't, unless that writer's just a royal pain in the ass to work with. Sure. Man, because this is like proof in the pudding. That's I, something I like, think writers want to put their stamp on things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, especially in, in modern film, more is more is good, Ugh. Ugh. and it's I not. Mean, I don't agree. No, but, right. I mean, do you want like to go back to Thanos? Do you want Thanos to give a twelve paragraph explanation of why he's doing this, or is he, you just want it to be? There's too many people in the in the universe, and I'm going to kill half of them. I mean, because we're running out of resources, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what like, does he say? He's like too many mouths, not enough to go around. Or right. Something. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Two yeah. lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean. But th- there's so many films, uh, books. I mean, anything, any any form of uh, of art that involves, you know, speaking or reading. There, a lot of people want to write a lot. Yeah. But the best things are the ones who write a little. Uh, Heming- read Hemingway. There's there's probably in a Hemingway book. There's probably two four syllable words in each book and. Most of the most of the uh, words in the book, probably fifty percent, are single syllable words. Yeah, simple. And there's a reason that he's considered one of the greatest writers. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's not because people can't understand it. It's just better. It's just better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's my opinion. It's not the art. No. It's not the art of prose. I mean, there's an art to that. Don't get me wrong. No, it's what the prose is doing, which is the simplest thing ever. And here it is. Let me tell you. A story. Yeah. Look at the title. The, of the most film. powerful words in the English look, language. Look at the title of the film. Yeah. Yep. Let title in. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple. A couple questions for you guys before we wrap this up. Uh, anybody have any last things to say or pretty good? Feel pretty good. We got it on there. Wow, we're long this week. Two, two hours. Yeah, yeah, it was gonna. What happen. are we at? Two ten. Two ten. Wow. I've been rambling. Take your time, gentlemen. Take your time. I'm all I'm all for it. And the, the four hours, I just like I'll have the best time talking about <laughs> vampire films for four hours. But mm. what was your favorite kill of Let the Right One In? Who got it the worst in this film? Let me go first. Yeah, go ahead. The unnamed oldest bully at the pool. The decapitation. That's the worst one. And you can see it because he's laying there with blood spilled all over, and it's his head down at the other end of the pool. Yeah. That's the one I would give you. I, w- I was I would say that, but uh, given that you've already said it, I'll say the um, Elise first kill in the movie, mm-hmm. where you where Jacques. the, Jacques, yeah. the old guy in the in the uh, up in the apartment is watching her do it, and she gets on him like a spider, 
And she, and that's she gets the front of his throat, and then she gets around and gets the back, and then he's still alive at the end, and then he she snaps his neck, and and that's manipulation, incredible, and that's manipulation too, right? Of like manipulation for help, of trying to, uh, trying to, you know, come help me, please, please come help me, and then just like when you're vulnerable, and then that's when you attack. I'll go with Hakens. <laughs> nosedive off the hospital. And in, this is one thing, that, again, the American thing couldn't get that right. The uh, Richard Jenkins just plummets into the snow. You know, this guy's going to hit a awning and then plummet into the snow, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, great Sh- moment, great moment. Shockingly, our burning in the bed didn't make it. Yeah. Wow. Also, that was, gr- that was great. Though. Also really good. It's a great visual image. Interesting. What's the... Oh, my God! moment of let the right one in where we got to polish off some wild turkey rare breed i'm gonna say the cat scene honestly because <laughs> as as semi-comedic as it is this so this this guy's apartment they're in he's got like 20 cats <laughs> cat man right? yeah, yeah. What's up with that? if you guys haven't seen the film there's like 20 cats <laughs> and they pile up on this lady and they're biting her neck they're biting her head they're I mean, they're, you know, cats weigh seven or eight pounds, right? And they're piling up on her so bad that they roll her out of the apartment and down the stairs. It's kind of brutal. That is, <laughs> like, was, you're right. Like it's comedic, but it's, I was, I was also like, oh, that's, uh, I mean, it's a good thing she's a vampire because that would kill that you. That sucks. Yeah, yeah, that sucks a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, so that's mine. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, it's got to be the castration scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the sweet. I'm just curious about what's behind the closed door. And there's been many a scene in the film that have been. I'm gonna look in the mirror as she changes behind this thing before me, and oops, side boop, right? Like there's a whole trope in film that's been built around that because it happens. And sure enough, we get it, and it's Oscar. And lo and behold, you know the other crazy thing about that? I'm pretty sure. He doesn't know what he's looking at because no, he's never seen it before. I don't think he understands. So he probably thinks that's natural. Yeah, yes. He, I don't think he understands I think yeah, I think what is going on. Yeah. One of the, the great, like, <clears throat> subtext of the, or not, subtext isn't the right word, but just mysteries of the movie. Just yeah. how, how, to, how, what is he, his mental reaction to that? Visual because he has no idea. I think it's just more added confusion. He just like saw his dad with some guy. I kind of don't understand what was going on there. And then he goes and sees that. He's like, oh, that's kind of strange. Okay. Like, I mean, she's like, in his head, she's like, girl, I don't know. I I know what mine looks like. I don't know what theirs is supposed to look like. I mean, eventually he'll figure it out, but like by then he's going to be stumbling around in the dark a little bit. Well said. Though, who knows when they do sex ed in Sweden? Good point. Yeah. I think ours was seventh. Grade. So well, thirteen. No, we get one in fifth grade, human growth and development, and then they really double down in seventh grade, right. which is like this is all the diseases you yeah. can get. Geography in fifth grade and <laughs> yeah, ninth grade is. When this they is told what happens that. to the body in seventh grade. Is like this is what why you shouldn't have sex. <laughs> Arousal. Yeah, when I go to a Catholic college or a Catholic middle school, what's going on here? Um. I got to pick the moment, and I thought it was a great subtle thing, and I had to double take, which was Elie's licking of the blood, and oh, she, like, great. ages a couple times. I thought that was ghastly and amazing at the same time. That was great. And I was like, she was old there for a second. Yeah, so really good little moment. Who's the master distiller on Let the Right One In? 
lot to choose from. I, I, I'd imagine. Who are you guys going with? I'm not a film expert like you guys, but I think whoever framed those shots. Is that the director? Well, that, the, the director tells the cinematographer, I want the camera here, and the cinematographer is in charge of lighting it and actually shooting it. So Probably so, that cat who's working with Nolan. Now. Yeah, so Hoyt Van Hoyt The cinematographer then, because I, I thought the shot, like, after I had noticed that first frame, the way they framed that first scene, I thought I was paying attention to everyone after that. Like, they were all, it was so consistent the way he did it. it, was, I, it I thought it was incredible. Like, if you're... If you're look if you're looking for it, it's great. And if you're not paying attention to it, it's also great. Yeah. You want me to go next? This might be a little hot takey, but why not? To this moment, I would probably argue that the greatest child acting performance is Portman in the professional. Yeah. I think Ely's got her beat. Yeah. Ely is so good in this film. More than Haley Joel. Oh, that's good too. That's a good one, right? It's good too. Yeah. So right. maybe I don't want to be too hot takey. So maybe that's, a, but it's, it's up there. It's, it, it's in that discussion of all timers. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. Oscar's really good too. And they play off each other. Well, yeah. So there's, you know, there's a, a tit for tat there, man. She's really, really, really good in this. Yeah. And the way she can, she plays a 12 year old who's also 800 years old. Yeah. And, a fem- and very, and very subtly. And a female actress who's also supposed to be a boy yep. right, in the film as well. Yep. Yep. You're right. No, really great performance, uh, child performance. Did you, what was that one's name? What Lara Lindegrand. Yeah. Lara, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. I'm going to go Lundquist, the, the author of the book and, uh, oh, yeah, the, oh, yeah. and the screenwriter, <laughs> to know uh, what to condense to two hours while still leaving enough seedlings there of interpretation of the castration, when you originally vamped, how many familiars you've had. I think it's a great job. This is a great screenplay. I think it's really uh, efficient. Uh, under two hours. And again, you don't get the author to write the screenplay because, again, they just, that's not, the, the writing prose and writing uh, exposition and dialogue are two totally different things. And we've talked about, like, what's the example we use? Uh, Mary goes to the cabin and grabs a glass of whiskey and pours it in the glass. In a novel, it's like Mary walks as eloquently to the cabinet, grabs a rocks glass made of porcelain and some shit. The <laughs> cool porcelain on her yeah, feels reminds it, her of her first marriage to Tom. It goes on for a fucking page. Right, yeah, yeah, like it, there, there's a real art to condensing and bringing that down, and this guy got it, I guess. Um, real good screenwriting job on this one. There's something going on at this time in Sweden, and they've lost it since then, but this is the same time of The Origins of the Killing. This is the same times of Dragon Tattoo, and this is the yeah. same time as this. So whatever artistic movement or agency or whoever was able to get, like they have it figured out for about a five-year window here that I would argue is yeah. some of the best storytelling. And a lot of times foreign films, we get the really good ones and we displace all of the right. other ones. But there's a period in Sweden, and that's not one that comes up often, but it is right now. They are really, really at the apex of great, great creativity here. You did mention Stieg Larsson's uh, Dragon Millennium series. Uh, that is a foreign import that I actually do prefer, which is Future's Dragon Tattoo, which is set in Sweden. Um, but that's a really great uh, improvement over that original film. So. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. No? 
Add it to your list, dude. That's like the, the the tagline for that one's the feel bad movie of the the holidays. So mm-hmm. yeah, that one's that one's pretty great. Uh, how you guys gonna rate and grade? Let the right one in. We have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. This is whiskey is like a single barrel rare breed whiskey. Like this is wholly unique. Where are you guys going with the film though? Top Shelf for me, certainly. I mean, great. Cinema, cinema photography, mm-hmm. a new word for me. Um, the acting is really, really good, especially when you re- realize that almost all of them are children. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story is, the screenplay is great. I, 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 I have no notes. The, 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 the cat scene is maybe the only detriment to the whole film. And I, I don't think, like, I forgot about it until Jesse brought it up. And maybe I, maybe my brain like edited it out. It was like acted as an editor because it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, it, it jar, it was a little jarring, but otherwise to me, almost perfect film. If I told you this movie has very little dialogue, some child and by child, I mean sub 13 intimacy questions and nudity, pedophilia, Nudity and revealed castration, most of you would probably run in horror in the opposite direction. And then if I said, and it's vampires, you'd probably roll your eyes and be like, what a joke. However, somehow this has all managed to be tied beautifully together in a film that I've referenced multiple times on this podcast. This for me and the genre of horror is probably top five ever. It's an immaculate film. The cat sequence, I do agree, the CGI is a little bit, yeah, a little, a little sketchy in this doesn't take me out of the film at all. I think it's as close to perfect, save that one moment as you can possibly get. And if like the Shawshank and the hustlers of the world are my perfect, there's nothing wrong with that. The five seconds of cat is just one notch below, but still far, far elevated over anything else. It's brilliant. I love it. It is my favorite horror film that is foreign of all time. And I'm so glad we got to talk about it because look at the cool road that we went down with conversations on a vampire flick. A lot of crazy stuff. That speaks to how powerful this material is. Mm -hmm. Top shelf with a bullet for me. Great. Uh, I think I'm going to go single barrel on this one. I think maybe more so for the uniqueness of this film just has a lot of stuff in vampire lore that you've never seen before. The what happens when a vampire comes in that's not invited the uh, re- kind of regurgitation of fluids and food that's not blood sustenance. Uh, no, it's really well acted, well directed, well shot. Uh, it's it's an, uh, an immaculate looking film. Uh, yeah, that cat thing, like yeah, it was, <laughs> I it's I chuckled and I I think I cackled, which was <laughs> like, what is happening here? Like, where did they go? In a moment that really shouldn't be in here, it's really tonally just offset to everything else they're presenting. Maybe they just felt we need another weird jump scare, but it just did not work. Um, Says somebody who's never been attacked by cats. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, there's not like a, like in something like The Thing, like there's not like that, like, oh man, that like weird cat scene like really took me out of it. But like, no, this is is a really great film. I, I can't recommend it higher for people to see if you haven't seen it. I first saw it in an international horror film class and it, it really blew my mind and, I sought out the remake after that and it was just like, why? Like they just, everything that was good about that is just devoid in that remake. Again, a well-made film. It's just, it's just so pointless. It's a pointless little, little film. 
but yeah, that I'll, I'll go, I'll go single barrel. Uh, on on this one, it, this this is great. This, this is one of the best vampire films I think that's ever been made. It's up there with Fright Night for me and Lost Boys. Um, yeah, you got to check this one out on uh, Amazon Prime and Hulu. I think right now, Showtime. <laughs> How does it relate to in comparison to The Hunger for you? This is, I think, more accessible than The Hunger. I think The Hunger is, dare I say, almost a little more art house than yeah. this little foreign thing. That's totally, saying something. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think you get more out of this one. Sure. That the hunger has ideas it wants to play with, and I don't know if all of them stick to landing and listen to last year's vampiric mm-hmm. <laughs> turn into the hunger, but yeah, I don't know if it fully fully works in that one. But you ever seen the hunger, Dan? I have not seen it. With your David Bowie shirt on? <laughs> no, He's I in it, seen it as a vampire. Oh, awesome! You should check I it. I want to see it. It's That's pretty. Per, Tony Scott. It's pretty. It's a pretty wild. It might be on HBO Max right now if if you want to check it out. But great! I'm glad. I I kind of set you up right. This was kind of like. An Ellie Oop to to Matt to do France and Sweden with two films I know you really really like. God, it's on the same wavelength. I was about to say Jesse kind of gave me these first two weeks, so he's going to run these last two. Oh so my God! Yeah, let me get the red line of travel going, bud. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Where are you taking us? Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. score by the way when you didn't even talk about music music's really good in this one too Mm -hmm. so our nightcap this week uh just before we hit record on this one we just talked very briefly about horror so maybe more and less of a question and more of a forum like discussion i guess talking about the boundaries of horror and you said kind of just off mic you're not like a huge horror fan but like there's some places you're not willing to go to so do you kind of want to just kind of go there a little bit Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, way too empathetic to watch horror porn. Yeah, Saw, uh, Human Centipede, those kind of movies. I'm not, I'm, uh, Dario Argento, those kind of. I, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. it like Jesse's I, about to throw something now. For for me, <laughs> when I watch a movie like it, like I can't even watch it because all I can think of is it happening to me or some somebody I love or something i i can't i can't do it so can i tell you a funny story real quick i took a screenwriting class one time and i did i came up with this crazy horror idea about this like dream thing and it, it wasn't like nightmare on elm street but i was like well night terrors what's that night terrors in latin and it's pavor nocturnus mm-hmm. and i read the title out loud in class and this kid next to me was like nice title dario <laughs> and I, was like, I couldn't i couldn't get mad at him because i totally got it that's like, hilarious i, I kind of gave him props for that one <laughs> yeah. all right go sorry uh so it's funny so i i consciously avoid horror films and you know i listen to I only listen to the episodes that you guys do where I've seen the film. And a lot of times you guys will put one out and I haven't seen it and I'll watch the film and then listen to it. But um, most of the horror ones I avoid because of that. I'm, I'm too empathetic, but having watched this film um, and you know, other there's other, you know, films like uh, get out or um, there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of films that 
technically fit in the horror genre that I've really liked. Yeah, which kinds? Are there some, like, go-tos that you're like, eh, it's pretty good? Well, like, Get Out, uh, I think, is is a great film. Um, this one, I, I, I'm i not prepared for this answer, <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah. but I, I will say, you know, I, I, like, I, I can appreciate uh, horror films that aren't uh, blood and guts. I just, like, I just don't like slasher films. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, those kind of movies are, are not up my my alley and a lot of times they're probably not as gory as i think they are but i just i won't watch them because i don't want to see it so it's kind of kind of my deal i I don't know if i'm uh if i'm weird that way i know a lot of people love that that stuff but no you're not me it's i mean that's my bread and butter i love the slasher film for a multitude of different reasons but that kind of shit ain't ain't for everybody i mean not everyone. I, I know a lot of people that prefer a more psychological torment film like a Gone Girl or a Seven mm. that really plays with your head versus blood and guts type of thing. Right. And then I'm kind of in it more on like a technical level of like, I want to know how they did that. Like, how did they make that guy's head explode? Like scanners, Cronenberg scanners. Mm-hmm. How did they get make that guy's head explode? Like, right. I try and dissect it from like that level. And, and you mentioned Seven. I mean, I... There was a time that uh, I was in I was in college, and I moved back into my parents' house for uh, for reasons I don't really want to discuss. But so I lived there for you know one semester, and I had a little thirteen inch TV in my room, and I had five videotapes, and one of them was seven, and I probably I've seen that film probably seventy times. Yeah, and that's a horror film, and there's also like body horror in that movie. But uh, I love it anyway because it's so well done. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the key to me for a horror film is knowing when to not show something instead of showing it. Yeah. Um, and this film in particular is great at it. You know, you don't have to show the awful thing that happened because your mind will fill it in and your mind will do a better job of it. So if I laid a couple of choices in front of you and one of them was slasher, which you pretty much said hard pass on and cold hard pass, like I'm not even going to bother taking the cellophane off the wrapper. Like <laughs> that's how much I'm not going to pass. And I put an unknown ghost film in front of you. Would you be more willing to at least give that a go or is it a deal breaker on that too? Uh, yeah, I'll watch I, like supernatural stuff. doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's just body horror. I like seeing somebody's flesh carved up. I just, I, I'm not good. I'm not good with that. So is yeah. there, is it because the story ends up being, I think from a filmmaking point of view, the technicality of how do we show that on screen is one of the things that Jesse really appreciates about it. But like, if you take Halloween, for example, that is fairly bloodless. Yeah. I, I, I find a pretty rich story in there and we can talk about the latter sins and the latter successes with that film, but just <laughs> Halloween one, the yeah. first one, I think is in a genre that you might otherwise say, that's yeah, just not for me, which there's a genre like that's yeah. I have my, that's me versus nature. Like I can't do anything man versus nature. I just yeah. don't want any part of it. Yeah. Um, if there's enough of a story there, can that get you over that hurdle? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I haven't seen Halloween one. Really? Yeah. Uh, I lived in, like I said, I lived in uh, Europe for four years those formative years between second grade and sixth grade. And I moved to the U S 
And I remember the first horror film that I, and, and in Europe, we, I lived on an air force base or military base. We had a theater that was a single screen and we would get a film probably six months after it came out in the U S sure. And we would have that one film and that was it. And that would show for a week and then another film for another week, et cetera. So, um, I never saw any, any horror films. Um, and the first one I saw when I came to the U S a bunch of, a bunch of friends from our middle school went to the Windrock theater and saw the Halloween the or Friday the third. No nightmare on Elm street three uh, dream warriors dream warriors. Yeah. The one with uh, Johnny Depp in it. And I hated it. And I was humiliated because I was there with a girl mm-hmm. and I was like grossed out by it. And I think that just kind of, kind of permanently uh, yeah. put a uh, psychological like a sting on it. Yeah. Sting on for me. But, uh, you know, having seen, you know, I've, I've watched a few of the movies you guys have done and, um, I, I, I like. I think I'm more open to it these days. Sure. Like I'll, I'll, I'll go watch Halloween. I'll, I'll I'll see it next week. I mean, I I highly. There's a giant post. So for people listening, there's a giant poster on Jesse's wall. Yeah. For Halloween one, I didn't even realize it was a John Carpenter movie. Yeah. It's right. my favorite movie of all time, primarily from a creative perspective. That I it made me want to make my own movies and write my own stuff. And when you kind of learn about the art through adversity that that film went through, and so grassroots that it's it's can't be nothing more than inspiring and it's a movie about it's a guy in a knife and a mask just like stalking people it's rake up those leaves we're moving to the house down get yeah, them in a bag rake them up we don't have money for more leaves so take them with you yep but i love that it's a shatner mask i think that's great isn't it oh yeah <laughs> it's iconic what about you matt is there a place you know like where horror goes where you're just like yeah like i'm out like it's just i, I don't need to go there or there has been in the last five years i wouldn't have said this before but there really is a place and it doesn't mean that it's a deal breaker for me now but i'm just exhausted with this particular type and i gotta tell you and it this doesn't mean anything going forward other than just off in this moment yeah i'm zombied out mm. now that doesn't mean that there is not stuff that i can still appreciate but I got so, and I think a lot of it had to do with the walking dead and the frustrations over when are we going to come to some resolution on some answers? Mm -hmm. And I read, I think the first 11 graphic novels by Kirkman on that. I'm very familiar with that story. Yeah. I like the, actually the, the graphic novels and the comics more than I like the show. They're really well drawn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And put together where that worked for me stopped being where the zombies were attacking and what humans would do to other humans when there was nothing left. And that's, but but when you start doing that, I find myself interested, but that's not zombies anymore. Like I'm not even interested in the zombie. It's the humans. Right. Right. And then the other one too, as much as I love them, but they are very tough to pull off. And that's why we've talked about the gosling, maybe going to happen, maybe not. And that's, what are we going to do? How can you make me not see the werewolf as another version of Hulk smash where werewolf devour? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough because if you make the human element of the werewolf too great, then you get Professor Hulk and no one gives a damn anymore. Yeah. So it's a it, that's a tough one. Um, and that's why I think like Lon Chaney's 95 minutes, in and out, quick and dirty, we're good. But I guess the proper answer to your question would be I'm pretty zombie exhausted, but sure. that doesn't mean that I can't have that changed. How about you? You know, speaking of the torture porn stuff like that, that's not pleasant for everybody, right? You don't just plop that on for family movie night. And do, like, I, I had there's a moment in my house. There's a moment in my household where you know I really like the first saw, and I think I brought that up last week actually. 
has an amazing ending. And I was like, let me show this to my parents. And like my dad walked out of the room at 30 minutes in. He was just like, was like, I'm not sitting through this. And th- that was very telling to me that like, this isn't for everybody, even in my own household. <laughs> so, uh, but I think culturally when it happened post nine 11, Horror got more gritty. It got more gross. Mm -hmm. And it fits a very unkempt time in American history specifically where horror just couldn't be so ghostly, right? It wasn't, it didn't feel appropriate and until it got okay again. So I think there's a time and a place for that. And some of the films are like Saw is pretty okay, the first one. And there's a, like Wolf Creek, I think is a pretty Mm -hmm. intense movie that's kind of hard to sit through. How about a high anxiety? Oh, high tension. I, I mean, that's what I meant. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good, too. But, like, there's some stuff. Like, Human Centipede, like, that doesn't really do a lot for me. And that was, like, a friend movie night. It was just like, oh, my God, this is so disgusting. People <laughs> are just, like, eating shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I got to tell you, I think, like, something I've discovered within my own self, and I have my own belief system, and I've had some interesting encounters that, you know, save them for another day. But... I don't know if I'm fully okay with ghost movies anymore. Really? I think maybe when we went through those Conjuring films last year, I was like, you know what? This is quite a suspension of disbelief. And Poltergeist, I think, works for me in a Spielbergian, fantastical uh, setting. And I think The Shining in a Kubrickian space. But, like, you know, stuff like The the Conjuring and, like, overly, like, insidious, like, that that doesn't really move the needle for me as much as it used to. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm fully a slasher guy. Like, I got to tell you right now, like, I'll I'll take you to, to the back room here in a bit. I got a whole sleeve of just slasher films. And I think it's, like, the real-life psycho man-made killers that, like, really trouble me. Mm. That, like, I'm trying to, like, pin a needle on, like, these aren't, like, Jason becomes very ghastly later in the series. But, like, it's just a guy at the, at the, mm-hmm. at the early on. Michael Myers is just a guy who's just running amok. Right. And that's a little more terrifying to me than, like, oh, man, there's, like, there's something going bump in the night. Like, it's a little too close to Scooby-Doo, where are you? And, like, I need a little more realism there. Was it the Conjuring was so poorly done as we got further into that? This is what did it to you? I think so. I really like the first one. We do, too. Love it. It's a masterpiece. The, we moment, did. the moment with the bed sheet. Yeah, it, it, like, it was so it's such a minimal. Well, I don't want to say minimalist, but the ghost aspect of it was very minimalist. Yeah, but as that and series that, got that further and further, scary. oh, absolutely, absolutely, it's gotten I think a lot more troublesome for me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but that's just a own kind of Jesse thing. I've been trying to kind of dive into with my place in horror, and yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not so good with the with the ghost films. I think it's hard anymore. to do ghosts well. Um, or whether it's ghosts or just general supernatural weirdness, um, because it, it gets campy too easy, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it it turns into Ghostbusters, it, you know. I think but, I think Paranormal Activity is so good in that space because it's kind of a ghost movie, but it like it like it reaffirms itself at the end of like no, this is like a demonic possession movie, and then it kind of finds its footing where all of the door moving two inches is kind of okay. And I'm good with it at that mm. point. So yeah, I think that, I think that's mine. I mean, I've had a very, and Matt's had to hear the, 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 the end of this and we're going to do the movie one day when you dip your toes so far into the deep end with horror, where you keep pushing yourself. I saw Halloween. I saw the thing. I saw Candyman. I saw this. I saw, saw, I saw this. How far can I keep going? And then you stumble into something where you're like, 
pump the brakes, ladies and gentlemen. Like, this is a little too much for me. And that films the Poughkeepsie tapes. And Mm -hmm. for people that haven't seen it, I can't recommend it because it might just, like, kind of, like, ruin you a little bit. But that was a moment where I was like, I don't even know if I can watch horror films after watching this. It, like, almost ruined me. Wow. And... So t- I will not be watching that film. We've talked about doing it on the podcast because I think it would be good for Matt to see whatever the hell I'm talking about, but also good for me as like some sort of like like twelve step like recovery, recovery to like <laughs> to like dive back into that and kind of like reaffirm that. So break it down a little bit. You kind of have to be careful in this genre. It that has a lot of great surprises and presence, but you can also stumble into something that you're not okay with. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think I have a mental block on it because honestly, I saw The Witch. And he loved, he loved that's it. one of the, I think one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years. It was horrifying. Yeah. And, it, but it was horrifying in a, I don't know how you, how you say it, horrifying in a good way, yeah. but it was horrifying in a good way. Like horrific movie. Like it's not a movie that, that I w- want to watch on Friday night on the getting ready to go out to have a drink that's not no it's heavy but, it's heavy uh, as hell it's yeah. probably i'll probably never watch it again but wow that was like i was bought it like like horrified into my core at the end of that film we got to do that movie one of these days yeah, i'm surprised you guys haven't done it honestly. yeah that would be pretty good uh but no great answers great questions dan thank you so much for coming on our let the right one in episode um we'd love to have you back again someday just kind of list, do you have like, what's your like favorite movie of all time? Like, is there a film you would ever like truly really want to come, come back for that you, you go to all the time? Well, that's, that's a hard question because I'm a guy that puts movies on as background all the time. And those are almost obviously going to be mostly like comedies and like fun movies. Um, I don't, I don't even know what I would say is my favorite movie or my best favorite movie of all time but the movie i've seen the most times is a movie you guys have already done and that's days and confused mm. I love that film i i still see new things in it almost every time i watch it um i'm <clears throat> laughing just even saying the name of it so that's probably my favorite film but uh and i know that sounds ridiculous because it's you know it's kind of frivolous but um no it's I a love hangout that movie yeah it's a hangout movie. It was a nostalgic piece to that yeah but uh yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I uh, I probably should have thought about that before I showed up. Uh, no, yeah, no, just, <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll we'll keep you in the loop, right? Excellent. Well, Sweden's finished. We're getting back on the plane now through TSA. We're going to our next uh, stop. We're going to be stopping off in Italy. And as Matt has so eloquently <laughs> said, how not good he is with zombies as of late. I'm taking him right into the zombie genre, which we've never done before on this podcast. No. And a filmmaker we've never talked about. We're going to talk about one Mr. Lucio Fulci, and we're going to talk about his film, which is so simply titled Zombie. Zombie. <laughs> uh, this is wild. Have you ever seen this? Pieces, not all the way through. Yeah. I actually own it, too. I actually own the copy. Do you? And I've never seen it. Okay. All the way through. I own three copies of this movie. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, take that, Dixon. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? Like, I got a sickness. I got to, like, figure that out. Um, Dan, I'll give you a copy of Zombie if you want it on the way out of here. But <laughs> uh, yeah, a filmmaker that I'll tell you just right now, Matt, we're going to have a great conversation next week because I don't entirely love his movies. Yeah, not a great library. And he's pretty well regarded in the horror circles and 
all of that. But like every time I sit down to watch it, there's things that really hang me up about his films. Mm -hmm. But Zombie has some standout sequences. Let me just say Zombie versus Shark. Yep. It happens in this movie. Awesome. Practically. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about, not only in the Italian horror film circuit, but we get to actually break down a zombie film, which we've never done before. So Wreck was the closest we got, and that really wasn't that close. That's kind of like a demon movie, though. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So this should be fun, right? I can't wait. Yeah. And, and as much as I said, I'm kind of out on zombies. I'm not out on this one. I'm ready next. I'm not, I'm not going yeah. with any preconceived. Are we going to do a right watch or you want to? Yeah, you come over and watch it. it. Yeah, watch All it right. with me and we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. So cheers to you. Cheers yeah. to you. <laughs> Cheers. We got to get going. We got to get on the plane to get to Italy so we can talk about zombie. We're going to drop Dan off at a midsummer festival here. Hopefully, Oof. hopefully that doesn't go too bad for him, but I haven't seen that film. Yet. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you what, when we take you around the curve, you better not stick your head out the window to see what just passed behind you. Keep that head tucked in, buddy. Excellent. Dan, thank you again for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure and everyone will see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Let the right one in is property of Sandrew Metronome, Canal Plus, and EFTI. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.